0: Someone's guide to midnight cinema with big willy the samurai and two of manchester's favorite sons red waffle paul and The longston gigs and best can't wear those boys members only jackets so get ready for the class to be brought by the trash proper
1: To the one, the GGTMC. We're on the air here, so we'll personalize the uh, intro there for our friends that are on the show this week.
2: Very good pick, by the way. I, I approve of the Stone Roses. It could have been Oasis and I'd, I'd have been grumbling.
3: <laughs> it could have been the wonder of you, too, but yeah. you know. Uh... You,
1: you may be grumbling later, brother. Anyway, <laughs> or at least not not not. Well, it won't technically be Oasis. Let's put it that way. All right. Um, Yeah. So we got our good buddies uh, across the pond, as we so affectionately like to say here in the uh, North American territories. Uh, Red Waffle Paul, which is, uh, I can't help but, uh, sorry, Paul. When I say that name, I I smirk at us a little bit. I love it so much. But uh, Paul uh, Red Waffle, Paul, he's, he's on the show. How you doing, buddy?
4: I'm goddamn hearing me wife to be saying <laughs> saying that really. He's just got me in stitches laughing. How did you how did you sort that out? We uh,
3: we reached out to her. We figured if we're gonna have two of Manchester's favorite sons on the show, we needed to have a fine lady from Manchester to uh, introduce them. So that's <laughs> in, how that goes.
1: In the intro, we've already lost James once. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'll get him back on here in just a second. (laughs) So I would introduce James, but I lost him on the call. So uh, our professionalism is is really kicking in already. Oops, I just hit mute. So
3: (laughs) He's probably on his way to Old
4: Trafford to run out right now, man.
1: Yeah,
4: yeah. (laughs) Literally, the ground overshadows where he lives. You can see it right from where James lives. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's on my bus route on to the way to work. I go past where he lives on the way to work on the bus and you can just see Old Trafford like overshadowing it. It's
2: brilliant. Yeah,
1: no doubt, man. <laughs> and we also have James on the show. James, how you doing?
2: I'm very, very good. Thank you very much for having me on. It's, uh, it's It seems to have been a long time coming, but uh, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it. Shoot the shit, as they say. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. We've, we've. Unfortunately, we, we, we have a lot of those uh, long time comings because we, uh, we do get uh, buried in our scheduling quite a bit. But uh, it is great to have you guys on the show. And, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And ac- of course, across the border, the Great White North. Large William, how you doing this morning, buddy?
3: I'm doing marvelous. Having a little gray in my mustache cup, so. Ooh yeah. I'm gonna ease into the morning versus the, uh, the jet fuel, the rocket fuel that I'm usually sipping on right now. So good stuff and before I forget we got to make sure that James uh, mentions in fact maybe now would be a very good time to do it in case we forget later Uh, James you're doing something uh, in your area that is very much in line with what the GGTMC would uh, or does approve of more accurately. Do you want to quickly really tell them what you're doing? Uh, the, the, yeah, you have absolutely.
2: Well, um, I think it may be well known to most of the, the members of the, the forum that I'm actually doing uh, a day of Eurocrime films uh, with, centered around the most fabulous Eurocrime documentary. Um, it was an idea that came to me last year, but the, uh, the logistics were just a bit out of hand. Since I, uh, I got involved with the, the cinema that I'm now volunteering with, it kind of came together. So got in touch with Mike. He was happy with it. got the licensing for the films and it's just been kicking on from there, really. Um, the, the feedback from the past week has been absolutely fantastic. So it's, it's really, really looking like we're on to a very, very good event. Um, I've got a hell of a lot of talented people helping me out doing... We're doing like a, a bundle packet with the tickets with postcards and flyers and badges, all kinds of things. It's, um, it's going very, very well. Very, very well indeed. I've got a few, few press bits to do this week. Um, I've got some friends at the BBC who are going to be sending press releases out here, there and everywhere. So, yeah, it's, it's going, going going very, very well. Even if you can't come, feel free to check out the Facebook just to see what's going on. And, uh, yeah, just give us a thumbs up. It, it all helps the cause.
3: Nice. Can, we, uh, can people buy tickets online as well?
2: Yeah, sure. It's from um, it's, it's from a UK vendor called WeGotTickets.com. dot com, and if you literally just type in Blazing Magnums, it'll be the the first thing that pops up. So, uh, yeah, the, I was I was struggling with for a name um, for the kind of I don't know event company, if you will, and it, it was the first thing that came to mind. I, I think the uh, I, th- I said it on the Facebook that the uh, the Blazing Magnum theme is quite synonymous with the Eurocrime genre. So, what a better way to uh, homage it than calling the event after that? So, yeah. Yeah, that's a good call.
4: Isn't that what you've um, got tattooed on your wrist? Well? I've
2: got I've got a tattoo that says Blazing Magnum as
3: well. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Very nice. And I don't know if you said this, you're going to be covering La Mala Ordina, uh, The Italian Connection. Absolutely, uh, yes. Manhunt uh, and Rome Arm to the Teeth are going to bookend uh, Eurocrime documentary. That, that's correct, yes. Um,
2: I mean, trying to pick two films that aren't a bit too off the beaten path. because. Right. Especially with Eurocrime, there's a lot of films that you'll watch where no one will be able to get hold of them unless they kind of go down the grey market route. So I've gone for the two films that are easily available on DVD and are just as entertaining as any. They've got the, you know, the the faces of the the genre and uh, the best soundtracks, the best action set pieces. So yeah, it, it's fitting in quite well. It's it's gaining a lot of attention from people who like crime films but don't necessarily know about the Italian ones. So. It's, it's nice. going very, very well.
3: Nice. Excellent, excellent. And then, like I said to you before, I you know, speak for Sammy and I. Keep letting everyone know in the group leading up to it because people have short memories in this uh, digital age. So, <laughs> or, know, at least, don't, don't or at least Will fingers, and I you know, do, anyway. Well, yeah, at least we do. So,
2: <laughs> you know, uh,
1: no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's great. I really do. And it's a great call to go with the uh, the readily available ones because a lot of people again still haven't really checked this genre out. So. Um, I mean, I got a lot of friends uh, outside of the show friends that do not know what a Eurocrime film is. So mm. I wish you know they would get into it a little bit because they would be you know they love like Dirty Harry films and all these other type of films from the seventies. I told them like, dude, you're going to like these films. Check them out, man. But,
2: exactly. I mean, it just I think it's one of those things that just needs a, a catalyst. I, I assume there was going to be like a bit of a spaghetti boom after the um, after Django came out, but that doesn't seem to have happened. But <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm sure once Mike starts getting the ball rolling on a DVD release, more people will start picking up on it, and hopefully we'll we'll crack on from there because there's such a big fan base for these films. And, you know, I, I've only been watching them for three or four years now, but the amount of people and the, the amount of groups that I've met that like these kind of films and the, the weird and wonderful ones that I've I've come across from this, it's, it's just brilliant. It's it's absolutely fantastic to uh, be a part of. Yeah, yeah.
1: All righty, so... We'll get into what we've been doing, what we've been watching outside of that. Uh, I'm going to give you full full disclosure here. I told Will this. I had a very, very busy week at work. It was one of those weeks where, you know, uh, (laughs) you start to think about changing your career path and uh, everything else because it was just a really, really bad week. So just to squeeze in the two films was a chore for me this week. So uh, I got those two in. That's all I got in. So I have nothing. But as always, we defer to the guest on the show. So... Let's go with uh, let's go with Red Waffle Paul. See what he's been watching.
4: All right. Well, I uh, started off my week with a rewatch of one of my favorite films from last year. Although it didn't make me top thirty, it was still really well done, and that was um, the Avengers. Oh, nice, nice. So, that was uh, last Sunday. Micah was my friend for something to watch, so it was. It was like, can I watch Iron Man? Can I watch Captain America? I were like. Why don't you just watch them all together? So <laughs> we we, uh, we rewatched that and then um, again, fully enjoyed it just as much on a second on a second watch. Um, I followed up that with um, a film you guys reviewed last week, Clean Shaven. Oh, ooh, what do you I, think? I oh, I loved it. I loved it. it um, I like it with films like this. A bit like with um, Oslo Thirty First of August. Um, you can go so wrong with a film like that if you don't handle and the subject matter delicately. And um, I think the director really did. Um, and Peter Green's performance was um, amazing. I mean, I spoke to uh, Will straight after. Um, I'd listened to the show last week, and I've got an auntie and an uncle, one on each side of my family, one on my dad's side and one on my mum's side, who both suffer with schizophrenia. One mild form, but my dad's brother, um, who died two years ago, He's uh, he suffered with it really, really bad, so for me, when I was growing up, that I didn't see that as weird, I just, you know, it's just like, oh, you, your Uncle Graham's poorly, kind of thing, without fully understanding what's going on, so it, it, it a lot of um, raw nerves, but no, it was fantastic. Um, I followed that up then with the... Worst film I've ever seen in my life. Father's <laughs> Day. Father's Day. Ooh. Oh! <laughs> I mean, I know Will held back on his thoughts of it, but what a piece of shit! <laughs> or, or,
3: or, or, or as you called it uh, in the message, uh, "pig vomit."
2: <laughs> yeah. Is this the I mean, the kind exploitation film? The, yeah, yeah, that's right, 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 right. <laughs> I mean.
4: Like, I I liked Hobo with a shotgun, I, I, I yeah, like, for what it were. Yeah. I, I I loved it, but this was just... It's like they've seen that, and <laughs> they've jumped on that bandwagon. I, I mean, the the main villain, was he Cock or something like that? Was, <laughs> <laughs> the, the worst thing is, I was watching this. I watched it in two parts, on the bus on the way to work, and on the bus on the way home from work. <laughs> on my mobile phone because i carry some movies on my phone so when right. i come in and out of work and i was just like oh no it was um it, where it was meant to be funny it was not funny it just got it so wrong oh, I, the, oh no they <laughs> here for a
1: minute I you know here, here's the way my mind works for a minute there, i was thinking about the billy crystal robin williams film i think <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> <laughs> oh and it's funny now. I think that might be the better Father's Day film.
4: Oh <laughs> Honestly, yeah, <definitely>. yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: I haven't seen it, so I can't say. But I have no. I'll, I'll just tell Will and, and be forthright to the group. I have no interest. So
4: no, no. It's uh, I, I really wouldn't bother. It's yep. d- the it, it, it doesn't have any redeeming qualities whatsoever. I'm trying to think of something positive <laughs> to say about it, but um, I just can't. It was awful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, I then watched, um, after listening to the bonus episode with Willie and the uncool cat, they got me in the mood for a film I've not seen since it was released, um, Old Boy. Yeah. Mm. Oh, and it's so much better on a second watch. Nice. Oh, amazing. You, you've still not seen it, have you, James?
2: No, I've not, believe it or not. You've, you have oh, you've, you've, got, you've got the set at home, are not you, all three of them? Yeah. But, it, it should have yeah. been on my, uh... 2013 first watches. To be honest, in fact, I might just knock it on now. So I'll, I'll get it done this year at some point, definitely. Nice. Yeah.
3: You don't know. Hopefully, you don't know too too much about um, the way everything unfolds, do you?
2: Well, I didn't even know the main plot point of Waterworld, so I, I think I'm safe with this. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> good.
4: <laughs> um, nice. Then now, uh, then another rewatch. A blue retreat to myself. Myself too. Dread. Yes. Um, again, even, this is another one even better on a, um, second watch. Um, really well. It. I think it made me number tw- I think it was my number 20 for the year. So yeah. for, for a film that were are expecting much of, it really pleasantly surprised me. And then last night, um, finished it off. Cause we'd watched all my kind of stuff. Um, through the week I let Miriam choose something, so we watched um my week with Marilyn. Um nice.
3: better than my um, wife's pick last night.
4: <laughs> oh yeah, I saw Catherine Eigel <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: Little Stephanie yeah. Plum, baby.
4: <laughs> I um I I enjoyed it for I, I I don't like that costume drama kind of thing, but for what it were, I mean the one who impressed me most, I mean Barring Michelle Williams as Marilyn Monroe, um, and every I've never seen a, a film with Marilyn Monroe in it, so I don't know if she's got her off to a T or not. But um, Kenneth Branagh as Lawrence Olivier, I thought he was um, fantastic, and he's somebody again I can't really stand him, but he was um, you no, know, he played the part of Lawrence Olivier um, really, really well. So yeah, no, you know say a 3.75 out of 5 or something like that. I really enjoyed it. It was
1: nice. nice. Every time I nope. hear somebody talk about Dread, I'll, the first thing that always comes to my mind is, Rookie. I, just love, saying, <laughs> I love saying that. So what's so come from that movie for me. It was like 15 for me on my top 30 last year. I loved it very much.
3: That's what uh, That's what Rick liked to whisper in <laughs> yeah. in the cinemasticist here late at night. Uh, yeah. Or I, not, didn't,
1: I didn't spit in my hand either.
3: That's right. Man. Take I'm this, go drive, Rookie.
4: Uh, the first one. It's going to be like sand, motherfucker. That's right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Is that everything, Paul?
2: That's perfect Finn, yep.
1: Nice, nice. James, what have you been watching okay. lately, buddy?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, started off the week with continuing my little Dirty Harry marathon I've been having with a friend. Um, it's been one of those, watch one of the films every other month, and this time it was the turn of the Enforcer, uh, the third one in the series, in which Callahan teams up with one of Cagney or Lacey. Um, I can't remember which one. <laughs> grunts his way through as 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 normal taking on a bunch of uh vietnam vets trying to you know power to the people it it was good it was okay um the main point of it not having a, a lalo Schriffin score kind of put the tone down a bit but it was a, it was solid solid enough really enjoyed it nice. um second film of the week was fascination which you guys covered not not too long ago um, I actually got this on Blu-ray off my mother for Christmas. Believe it or not, I, I gave her a list. Very and, nice. Uh, yeah, she picked the one with vampires and titties. And uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I wonder <laughs> if she knew. I wonder. <laughs> I, that's a good point. I don't think she'll be borrowing it anytime soon. Let's just read it at that. Um, it was good. Um, I, I agree with the sentiments that Jean rolling films are good to look at. Um, it's very slow moving, but I think the. Uh, the, the synth undertones kind of added to a, a strange eeriness around it.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Again, he's a director that I've never really gone balls deep into, but I'm going to seek out some of his other films anyway because the, they do have something about them, even though they can be a, a tide boring. But for right. 80 minutes long, you can't really argue because I've watched two-hour films that are absolutely diabolical, so yeah. I don't mind uh, slamming some of these. In. And then in the midweek, I visited the ABCs of death, no. Um, yeah. Ooh. I <laughs> oh didn't boy. have high hopes for this at all. Um, and I, if this is kind of the way that modern horror films are going, I, I think there's a possibility I might be done. Um, unimaginative, sometimes offensive. For a film that has 26 short films and each director was given £5,000 or dollars, should I say, um, there was zero quality control. Um, If you're investing that much money in something like this, you expect someone to have a word um, before the films come back. There was one film, there was one short in particular called Dogfight that was. Quite actually, draw a drop in. Um, it was fantastic. Literally about a dog fight, a man fighting a dog. Um, I have no idea how they filmed it, how they went about it, but it was absolutely stunning. And to have one out of twenty-six that was good is a, a, a fail for me. Absolutely massive fail. Ooh. And um, Ty West segment offended me on so many levels. It was, it was awful. That, that, absolutely that's awful.
1: what I've heard. A lot of people are really railing against the Ty West segment. So,
2: well, I mean, which, which segment was he? Um, M for miscarriage. So Uh, you're dealing with a kind of touchy subject anyway. Um, But it's just the way he went about it. He he just had no interest in it. He obviously seemed to think that his direction was better than anything that anyone could tell him to do. Poor, poor effort. Um, And the Jason Eisner one as well was okay at at best. He kind of had his neon 80s soundtrack with his high contrast (laughs) colors. And, yeah, it was serviceable. Mm. But um, if... If you're kinda of on the fence with it, don't bother. It's 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 really, really poor. Um I, I definitely won't be revisiting any more of these kind of horror anthologies again. Um then I fit in Danger Divelic and Waterworld and then I rounded off last night with Hard Target. <laughs> nice. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I we was uh I was around at a friend's and we were just kind of procrastinating over what to watch and he was like, I really fancy watching Hard Target. So completely off the cuff, we watched Hard Target, finished at about four in the morning and uh yeah, made my way home. It has quite possibly the most powerful mullet in the history of cinema, and <laughs> just some of the some of the um, it dissolves and he makes like uh, the, the slow motion camera work of just someone turning their head or walking through a door. He just I think John Wu knew what he was making with this film. It's very tongue in cheek at times, um, but I, I enjoyed it a hell of a lot. It's it's a film that's from my childhood. So uh, yeah, that was the that was the last thing I watched this week
1: nice it's funny hard target is really uh it's one of those films that i I would i hesitate to say it as a has aged well but it's definitely it's kind of become almost like a cult thing now this hard target film and and i'm really happy because i really liked the film when it came out and a lot of people made fun of me (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know because you know i've always kind of championed van damme and these these action guys And my friends were always like, oh, come on, man, Uh, Silence of the Lambs, that's a better film, and stuff like that. Okay, well, it's a different world, you know, so, but uh, Hard Target, man, that's where it's at. And they were like, you know, making fun of me, so I bet those same friends, quote-unquote, that I used to talk to probably like it now.
2: Well, Van Damme's dialogue in it it's just something else. It's almost like (laughs) they put an alien who looks like a person in the film, (laughs) and um, just get him to talk, like, what he... His retorts have nothing to do with what people are talking to him about. Um, it, it, it was fantastic. I really, really enjoyed it. Just yes. get your muscles out and flex your hair, and he's it, all good. It's a wet, it's a wet mullet too, man. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of moose. A lot of moose.
1: Nice. It's perm too. This isn't curly. Oh yeah, it's curly. Yeah, It's yeah, nice. It's
3: curly. It's incredible, man.
1: Nice, large William. What you got? Anything?
3: I had a, I had a slight week until I kind of turned things up uh, yesterday. Um, Forgive me, I have to cough here for a moment. Thought I'd shook that cough, but to no avail. Um, I, uh, I hooked up with the uncool cat last week, went to see Stoker, and uh, we traded off some discs. So he has a very, 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 very cool collection. So it's nice to go to someone else's house who's got an expansive collection and just be like, oh, wow, this, this, this. <laughs> so I, I had intended... To borrow Super Inframan and maybe one or two others, but I came out with a stack of ten movies at his insistence. Like he was like, "Take this, take this. Have you yeah. seen this?" Yeah. And it becomes that, and I'm walking out with like a Jenga pile in my hand. So it uh, it was great. So I've been able to bang off a couple of them, and um, the first one was Hong Kong Godfather. Which has a beardy in it. It's uh, and as well as uh, Shek Yan, I believe it is uh, from Enter the Dragon villainy fame. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a late cycle Shaw Brothers film. It is insane. It. I will say this: it's a buy. I think for everyone, uh, for no other reason than it's probably the best I've ever seen an eighties Bro- or eighties Hong Kong film. Look, it nice. looks beautiful. Nice. Like they've done a really good job. I think I uh, was speaking to Jay, the only Maniac. I think he was saying, or Kenneth Person was saying, it was probably Jay actually uh, that Celestial remastered it. But whoever did it, my hats off to them because um, it looks really nice and the packaging is really nice. Funimation, who's primarily known for their anim- anime uh, releases, they put out a bunch of uh, sort of left field Hong Kong or more specifically Shaw stuff. But it's a good one. It's it's a you know escalating kind of. Crime film that's pretty insane. Lots of machetes and lots of mullets, and it's it's a it's a good time, and you can get it pretty cheap too. So I would highly recommend it. It's it's very very good, and we're going to probably do it on the show at some point here in the near future. Wait, um, I've, ne- I I've
1: that, never seen it, so that'll give me a good reason to watch it.
3: I thought I had, but I, I clearly hadn't. I would have remembered it. Uh, it's quite good. <laughs> um, then I did one that was kind of on my list of shame. I did it uh, yesterday. It's one of those things, you know, you just sometimes films elude you and you have no good reason why, but I finally decided to sit down. And in fact, the final sort of nail in it for me to to see it was the fact that it was Jerry Lewis's birthday and I watched Martin Scorsese's King of Comedy yesterday. Oh, oh man, it is so, so, so good. Uh, I heard from uh, Jonathan Hertzberg in the boards that the Blu-ray is coming out uh, sometime this year, 30th anniversary. I can't wait to get it, man. It's uh, it's definitely gonna be in my top 30 first time watches. It'll it'll probably be top five or ten. I can't see it going lower than ten. It's it's a weird film, you know. I can see how it would have been a bomb in some ways because how do you market it? It's
5: yeah, not really
3: a comedy. It's not really a drama. It's kind of this <clears throat> betwixt and between. <clears throat> Excuse me, um, but it features some amazing performances, and as, I, as I'd mentioned on the group page, my love for the Bernhardt grows stronger. She's great in the film, yes, and she's young, and her witchy face is pretty fresh in this. And
1: do you like uh, De Niro's little mustache?
3: It's great. It's his little mustache is great. There are some genuinely <laughs> funny bits. Um there's some really um, dark bits too. That yeah. it, and they kind of bore. You're walking the fence between comedy and. And kind of terror. Yeah, um, no, I know. I really know. Like, Ooh, should I laugh? I'm a bit scared here. This is fucking horrible. Yeah, it's a strange and movie. It really is, but it's a brilliant film. It is. So, no. if anyone else hasn't seen it, please see it. It's it's great. And then I finished my week up with. Uh, actually, no, I didn't finish my. I finished my week up with something else, but uh, I did Taxi Hunter. Uh, I think it's Category Two B. I believe it is. I don't think it was a Category Three. But uh, this film's twenty years old as well. Good old Anthony Wong. It's based on loosely on a true story. He's a pretty nice guy. It's kind of like a death-wishy type story. He's a you know pretty pleasant man, and his wife gets killed by a scummy cab driver, and and he goes about uh, hunting down and killing taxi drivers in Hong Kong, so it's uh, it's got some great touches. It's not completely sleazy and bonkers like most Herman Yao, Anthony Wong joints are like Ebola syndrome, and... Uh, untold story it's it's actually got some pretty good stuff and it. it does have some human touches like the Paul Kersey stuff in uh, death Wish and then um, finally one for the money thankfully I fell asleep about 30 45 minutes in maybe a little more than that but um, my wife I always end up Shanghaing our uh, Saturday nights but oh, I got I gotta do this for my show honey come on because Saturday is supposed to be a mutual day and uh, I finally said look I got nothing on the table. Why don't you pick one? And she was going to pick something. else. I go pick whatever you want. And she goes, "Oh, well, do you mind if I watch this?" I go, "Anything but that." And then I thought, you know what? I can't. I can't really qualify that statement. That's unfair. And, yeah. and most times, I don't have to. Watch. I mean, you know, you know, Rick. I don't really have to watch too many chick flicks. That's true. I mean, in the 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 ten years almost I've been with my wife, I've maybe had to watch ten really proper chick flicks. So this isn't really. I mean, this is just it's awful stuff, though. It's it's really awful. I hate Katherine Heigl. She's just. She lacks any charm mm-hmm. at all. And uh and they got this guy who's kinda of like a low rent Gerard Butler, like they were trying to go for that that shitty bounty hunter thing that uh Aniston and Butler did together, but that's the way it goes. You know, luckily I uh I slipped off into oblivion and, and didn't have to see the rest of this plum character, this little this uh Johnny Come Lately, uh, or Janie Come Lately, Bounty Hunter in Action. So there you have it.
1: They, they, uh, that character that uh, that film's based on. My wife reads those books, and uh, the Stephanie Plum character. That's I, what it is. And I have been completely nervous and like on eggshells that I'm going to be asked to watch the film.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, that's
1: a good point. Because she knows it exists, and I'm like, ah, yeah, but the reviews have been terrible. I wouldn't check that. I'd stick with the book character, you know. So yeah.
3: Well, it's it's a good thing you haven't uh, had to yet. It's uh, playing like a sword, sort of Damocles, I think it is, over your head, man.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, no interest in that. That's for sure. No. I will say I'll I'll add one thing to the punch. I I have been watching uh, Netflix original series House of Cards with uh, Kevin Spacey, and uh, that has been quite entertaining. Uh, This this,
2: I finished it last week. Oh,
1: nice, nice. Uh, I really enjoy. Ke- this type of Kevin Spacey. Uh, <laughs> he just, uh, you know, the smugness of the character and stuff like that. And I've only watched five episodes, so I don't know how it all pans out. And I'd never seen the thi- uh, the uh, the series it was based on or the thing it was based on. So I'm going completely off of this, but uh, I have been enjoying it quite a bit. and uh,
2: I, th- I think I'm going to revisit the original series some point this year. Um, I imagine the English version to be a bit more cold and calculated. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. He kind of has that jokey camera talking um excuse me and it's really good um i I, I do enjoy films about american politics um and and series about american politics but yeah i think the english one just might be a bit more calculated for my liking but i did enjoy it um yeah it it, it was a good watch i I do recommend it to anyone who's kind of a loose end for 40 minutes or so a day so
1: yeah and and for those who uh who might not know uh, to listen to the show, the first two episodes are. It's essentially a David Fincher film because the first two episodes are directed by David Fincher. So, uh, definitely look into it. Uh, it's definitely interesting the way he sets up the show because it, it looks like it continues that style very well. Mm. So, uh, very interesting. So, but that's about that's about it. That's everything. All right. So, what are we going to talk about first today? Waterworld or Danger Diabolic? Which one you guys want to talk about first after this
2: break? Huh? Anybody got anything? I don't <laughs> think we want. should go Waterworld first. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, we can do Waterworld first. Let's do Waterworld. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, we'll take a short break, come back and talk some Waterworld. Be back right after this.
3: Do you like movies? Do you like podcasts? Do you like podcasts where a guy talks about movies?
0: It's not that very encouraging, but okay. You should tune in to Justin Oberholter's
3: Film Wave, where each week I review a couple of movies and whatever else comes to mind. Now, does that sound good? Really? What if I got you a celebrity endorsement?
0: Hey, this is Sylvester Stallone. Listen to Justin Noble's film rave. This guy is a cinematicist. He watches all the films that stars Stone Cold Steve Austin. Haha, <laughs> much better. So tune in to Justin Noble's film rape. go to freakingawesomenetwork.com, filmrave.lixir.com, or subscribe <laughs> on iTunes
5: we <laughs>
1: Personal favorite of mine from Stone Roses. I had to. I saw Paul kind of talking about that in a message, and I was like, "Ooh, I'm going to put that in anyway," because <laughs> that's a personal fave. All right. Okay. So Waterworld. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't sound enthusiastic. I actually, you know, I do enjoy Waterworld. I'm going to say that flat out right now. So, but it was interesting to rewatch this because I haven't seen it in a while. I think I watched it a couple of years ago in HD. I think I recorded it off of a channel or something. I Had it on the DVR for about three months or something. Uh, Hard to believe this is 1995. Really kind of tough to kind of fathom that. But anyway, let me uh, synopsize, and Will's going to take the lead on this one. Uh, In a future where the polar ice caps have melted and most of the earth is underwater, a mutated mariner fights starvation and outlaw smokers and reluctantly helps a woman and a young girl try to find dry land. All right, so directed by Kevin Reynolds. Uh, Oh, a lot of people behind the scenes attached to this thing. Rather infamous Hollywood story, The Waterworld, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit. Large William, take the lead.
3: All right. So (laughs) Waterworld, first time watch for me somehow. I remember, you know, pre-internet seeing updates on Entertainment Tonight. And my mom was the big star. the gossip paper, The Star... Uh, I remember reading stuff in there and, you know, just kind of seeing stuff around in high school about this film and over budget and blah, blah, blah. So it was one that I avoided, even at that age, I had the sense of thinking, man, this thing's probably going to be a mess. Um, And we finally got around to it. Um, This, I think, looking back, I mean, this was a time when Kevin Costner was kind of the A-lister. I mean, he could really do no wrong In Hollywood, I mean, he had a really good run with uh, Silverado, American Flyers, Untouchables, No Way Out, Bull Durham, Field of Dreams, Dances with Wolves. Say what you will, but at least um, from a Hollywood standpoint, it was well-received.
1: Yeah, he had some power, right?
3: Robin Hood, JFK, The Bodyguard, A Perfect Girl. These were all films that in Hollywood terms did well, meaning they had fair reviews and they made a lot of money and their soundtracks made a lot of money.
1: So that so, yeah. that little block, Dances with Wolves, Robin Hood, JFK, body, <laughs> Bodyguard, was really the pinnacle of uh, the Coss era. Oh yeah, a perfect world is where it really starts to turn a little bit. And the reason we and and, I, and that being said, it's a Clint Eastwood film. I think it's an exceptional film, but it it was him doing something different, and people started mm-hmm. to turn on him a little bit. And so, if you look at everything past that.
3: Right after that was wider and then you get into The War, and then Waterworld.
1: Yeah, and there's good stuff in between, but uh, nothing really... Well, the cost hasn't been huge in years, right?
3: Well, what it was, was it was a really bad one-two punch uh, of Waterworld. Then he did Tin Cup, which was well-received, but he did Waterworld, and then The Postman. <laughs>
1: which... So
3: that was the final <laughs> nail in the coffin.
1: Essentially the same film, almost.
3: <laughs> right, that's right. A very post... eco, kind of post-apocalyptic film, mm-hmm um so between those two his name became mud and ever since then he's been in some interesting stuff but he certainly has not been the same he's not the hollywood golden boy so it was through that eyes and with that perspective i was very curious to see this film and to see if its reputation preceded itself and i do have to say that i feel that the film uh, does have an unfair reputation as being you know i think a lot of people think of it as one of it's synonymous with being one of the worst bloated messes of all time. And and I have to say that I would debate that. I don't think this is, by any stretch, a masterpiece. But I do think that it's a fun, old-timey film. Um, and I'll I'll certainly tell you why. And I would say that... I don't know if this has a Blu-ray, but I'd it be does. very interested. It, it does?
1: Yeah, I watched it on Blu-ray.
3: Oh, nice. And yeah. how's the blue look? Uh,
1: it looks good. It looks good. It? Uh, yeah, I wish there was... Uh, I wish there was a really big special edition of this because uh, the stories behind the scenes are as interesting as the uh, the story on the screen. So, but uh, I don't think you'll ever see one because I don't think Costner wants to talk about it.
3: Well, that's <laughs> what I was hoping for. Is you know, sometimes when you are able to get um, commentary tracks x amount of years later, people are separated enough from the film that that you get some really insightful stuff. So, I would be hoping for that. I guess you know, we may never see it, but nonetheless. Um, this film, uh, I have to get it out of the way, it's it's very indebted to two things. Um, it's very indebted to Mad Max. It's sort of the inverse Mad Max, where that's dry land.
1: It's almost the Beyond Thunderdome of of, uh, Water War- of uh, Kevin Costner films.
3: It is. It's very much in line with uh, Beyond Thunderdome. And, and Costner's very much channeling um, Max Rokitansky uh, in this role. Um, I don't think he does it. I don't think he's as good an actor or as charming as Mel is, but he's clearly going for that. And even more, not even more than that, but if you want to look at sort of the roots of that loner tree, it, it starts off with it's him channeling the mammoth no name, Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. Right? He's, he's um, sort of a drifter and he's uh, in a bit of a mercenary type. Um, in some senses, so um, you know, but he does it to to reasonable effect. Certainly in the film, um, it opens with the, one of those things I like is when films utilize the um, the studio's logo and they kind of incorporate it into the film. You know what I mean? Yeah. Make like this be this this I think turn, it, it zooms in and and the uh, the ice caps melt and there's a, there's a flood and um, hence the title Waterworld. But I have to say this is this predates a lot of the the extensive CG uh, that we, the, the age we live in now. I can't, and we kind of touched on this, I can't imagine the shoot this must have been. Oh, God. Oh, my <laughs> God. Where, where was it shot? I mean, I, I could look, but do you guys know off the top of your heads? Uh, um,
1: Hawaii, I believe. I
2: think, yeah, it was off the Hawaiian Islands. Didn't they yeah. use up um, the entire your <laughs> supply of Hawaii, yeah. An entire year's steel supply to make this film. Yeah. The, Seriously. The island yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, the island they shot off of, they used every last bit of steel. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that fuck oh. you, Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, yeah. Well, it, it's that kind of film. I mean, again, I think that you get these projects. It's fascinating to see people just yeah. get in and you know, no pun intended, get in way over their head and when you have something of this scope it's 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 very interesting because let i i think we can all say that the sets the scope the scale of this film the 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 um the sets that were made for this film are truly a sight to behold yeah, absolutely oh, yeah
1: yeah the so, uh, the floating city uh floating town or whatever you want to call it uh that's w- a good chunk of the budget went there and uh oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, of course, you know, when I first saw this film, I thought, well, it's, a lot of it's going to take place here because obviously a lot of money went into this set, and the next thing I know, <coughs> it, it moves on to something else. So, but you can see where I mean, it's it's full size. It's it's a real it's huge, man, <laughs> and it's like sitting in the middle of the ocean. So you can just imagine the uh, nightmare. Oh, that was Is it,
3: this would be a, a chore and a. And a... You know something of such large scope, even on dry land. Like I'm thinking in my head as I'm seeing this, like, well, how did they build this? I mean, did they have a big platform they were working on? Did they ferry it out? Like, just the logistics of this. Good God, it's I can't imagine the stress everyone was under making this film. But you know, that's the way it goes. But I have to think too that Costner's of a certain age that he grew up with a lot of the old timey adventures, like you know the Errol Flynn's, the swashbucklers, the pirate films, and this is also very much in line with those films. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, we get smokers who are, I guess the, you know, because it has its own rules and its own mythology. They're very much the gay boy berserkers of, of Waterworld. <laughs> you know, yeah,
1: the Smegma Boys, man.
3: The Smegma Boys. That's right. That's right. Um, and it opens pretty great. It opens with uh, with Cosmo drinking his own
4: piss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that was my first. So, yeah.
3: Jeez, man.
4: Very few
1: blockbusters you'll ever see in your lifetime have a scene like that. <laughs>
2: The yeah, most I mean, expensive film ever made and it's got cost of <laughs> drinking his own piss yeah. and fun yeah. for all the family. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
3: I mean, that's the thing, right? And, you know, I would expect that going back to Herman Yao, I'd expect that for maybe a Herman Yao film, but it's, uh, it, and that's the thing too, right? It's one of those things where parts of this feel like a, a you know, you could see it as a summer family blockbuster and other parts like that with the piss drinking. It's like, oh, wow, it's, it's, it's just, it's one of those little missteps. Um, I mean, even the music though in this, it has kind of this quaint optimism, this kind of, uh, older feel to it. It doesn't, you know, there's a few bits in the film. There's one bit that almost sounds a bit like John Carpenter towards the back end, like a little bit of synthy stuff that I think works pretty well. But on the whole, it's a bit too upbeat, kind of quaint, old timey adventure music. But, you know, it is kind of an old timey adventure film at its heart. Um, I'd
1: say the the music that's going on in the beginning and into the town is very Spielbergian, very, oh, yeah. very John Williams. I was like, wait a minute, John Williams score this thing? Yeah um do not I d I don't I didn't even look to see who scored this thing.
3: Uh I didn't eat I didn't see it either. I I oh. forgot to write it to him. Uh-huh. I thought I took a note but I didn't
1: oh. Oh, I'll I'll look while I'm sitting here, so go ahead. We'll
3: So we talk about Costner, you know, taking this and that from each respective sort of hero Rocket uh-huh. Tansky, they don't have name, but one yes. thing he borrows from John Rambo is he's got this little Jade idol choker that he likes to wear.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Missed <laughs> so. out with not putting a shark tooth on there though.
3: I know. What was he missed out on that, man? He, oh, he man. should. But that was one of his own, right?
1: If, so. we, if I ever interview Costner, that's the first question I ask him: Why no shark tooth in Waterworld, bro? I
3: know. Well, you know, I, maybe it was. It'd uh, be sort of like a a tiger wearing uh, a lion bone around his. I don't know. I mean, because you know, it's one of his own people, It's one of his kind, man. Yeah, He's James, James
1: Newton Howard. I can't say both. I know his name. Uh, yeah, you know, you know him. Trust me.
3: Yeah, maybe it's certainly his work more than his name, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the film does a pretty good job in establishing kind of its rules and its mythology and, and um, the landscape quite well. Uh, I think it does a pretty good job of that. You know, whether you go with everything or not, it does immerse you in the world pretty effectively, I think. <laughs>
1: uh, oddly, yes, it does. Uh, sorry, I'm laughing. Oddly, James Newton Howard actually scored Father's Day, the Robin Williams-Billy Crystal No
3: film. way. <laughs> what are the odds? What Amazing. Are the odds? Um, there's this one henchman in this. Oh, man, he's so brutal. He looks like sort of like if, um, if Triple H, Michael Fassbender, and the actor that oh, played... That played Sledgehammer, had a, like a three way, and they had a love child. <laughs>
4: well, I, I would have. I, I was looking at him, and I really, really recognised him. He's a he smoked. And I'm wondering, have you ever seen the film? And, and I know James watched it recently, and I did Little Monsters. Oh, ha- ha- I mean? Howie Mandel? Yeah. Well, not, not, not Howie Mandel, the, the big guy. No, no, you know, I you didn't one... mean that.
3: I, I just meant the one, the one with <laughs> Howie. Oh, Manel. the film. Yeah. Yeah.
4: yeah, yeah. The Howie Mandel film. Well, you know that big blue, um, like, body. Big monster um, with a big long mane and um, he, he smokes a um, cigar. Um, okay. and oh, I've like never pod- seen
2: the
3: film actually, so I can't uh, reference it.
2: But do you but, know who I mean, James? I know exactly who you mean, yeah. You get an IMDB I'd, that shit where we're in now. Yeah. Cause I,
4: I'm, I'm, he, to me, the
2: way he just,
4: his movements and the way he smoked really reminded me of that. The first thing that came to mind. So it be interesting to see if it's him. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's got the main,
3: right? So he's one. he's yeah. already partially there. I don't know uh, what his
1: name is. I, I look for him in the credits because the first time I watched this, I looked for him. I'm like, this guy's playing the heavy. He had to have been in something somebody saw.
3: Yeah. Oh, for sure.
1: Well, he's not the heavy, but he's one of the heavies, right?
3: Yeah. Uh, so the second in command, I guess. The heavies.
1: So I, I don't see him anywhere in the credits. And of course, now I'm looking through Little Monsters to see if I see any names. But uh, nothing's really jumping out at me. So if anybody figures out who this individual is... I would, I would like to know because I've seen him in something else. I know I have. Yeah. I just don't know
3: what. And uh, of course, this film has the triple horn, which I think this was her big coming out party. I, I think I know she had done Basic Instinct, and yeah, that was a coming a few, out
1: party too. You know what I'm saying?
3: Oh yeah, no doubt, man. <laughs> um, but she, uh, you know, she was she was a serviceable actress. She was kind of, you know, I always lump like Renee Russo and her and a few other actresses of the time together. You know, they're kind of, you know, you you could kind of cast one of them. Uh, together um, not together but if you couldn't get one you'd get the other one uh, I have to say uh, was it T- is it Tina Margarino I'm not in front of IMDb right now yeah um, we'll get into the cast because the cast is at first glance maybe doesn't seem that insane until you dig deep and then the cast is very insane but Tina Margarino a nine year old low tap uh, the heathen of knife licking fame <laughs> if he was nine years old man this would be his girl she's, got, she's the white girl with the braids <laughs> all right So he has a thing, he has this strange fixation with uh, white girls with dreads or braids, which, (laughs) which, um, hey, and different strokes for different folks. But uh, I saw a braided little white girl, I thought, man, if he was nine, that'd be his piece. Um, What else do we got here? Oh, there's a good little underwater knife fight. I kind of expected, you know, a zombie and shark to kind of roll by (laughs) as it was happening. Um, (laughs) We get some great... uh, we talk about net confoundment on this show, and sadly, our hero uh, he has to deal with being confounded by a net while underwater.
1: Now, I have to give some credit here because this is the one area where I think a net would be confounding.
3: Absolutely, I would agree with you. This is effective use of net confoundment <laughs> because it's on dry land with, and then the net was it was a pretty widely cast net.
1: Yes, it was a big net.
3: You know, it wasn't like this. Um, I'm
1: gonna be, sex- all, I'm gonna be off film scholarly and say what Costner and Reynolds were trying to say was we are killing all the dolphins. That's right, man. We're trying to make too much tuna. That's and, right. Uh, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just making shit up. But it is, it is ridiculous the size of this net. And I thought to myself, man, that something in that could have went really wrong. Oh,
3: for sure, yeah. for sure. I Have um, to wonder
1: if it was actually the cost in there.
3: Yeah, no kidding. Uh, sorry, I was putting a hamster trap door on something um
1: it yeah, sounds like something personal
3: yeah <laughs>
1: uh, i know i know what a hamster trap door is bro yeah no <laughs> i've seen yeah,
5: cru-
1: i've seen i've seen again. cruising
3: yeah no doubt man Gosh, i think our hamster went missing last night oh ooh. yeah one of those man those fucking balls they roll around and all of a sudden we didn't hear clanging into everything <laughs> so i think he's in the crawl space we're trying to lure him out with some kiwi right now so to <laughs> be continued but uh yeah the film it feels very steampunky as well, which you know is kind of that uh, aesthetic is, is prevalent in uh, in these kind of films. Um, you know, there's a, there's a few shots of the, uh, the the city. There's one specific shot at night, where it's kind of a high overhead shot. It was like an aerial shot, and it looks very much like the village with the Playboy Playmates and Apocalypse Now that they show up to at night. <laughs> very strange
1: that's interesting Um, i never even i never put those two together
3: yeah the uh the sort of golden child's tattoo in this is very much in line with the 90s like i'm surprised they didn't give her like a like a barbed wire armband tattoo or a tribal (laughs) armband tattoo you know she had the fucking chinese scripture on her back should have just
1: cast bill goldberg as the nine-year-old child
3: yeah that's right um I wish there had been more of the Toymaker-esque character.
1: The Michael Jeter?
3: Uh, yeah, Michael Jeter, of course. Um, uh, fucking Michael Jeter, man. I know him from Elmo.
1: Yeah, yeah, Mr. Noodle. Mr. Noodle. Yeah. yeah,
3: that's right, man. Yeah. So he was he's a good little small role in the film. But but in, at some point, in this we're, we're going to have to run down this cast because the cast will blow people's minds when they dig deep. Um, there's a lot of mesh shirts, brown teeth, and sea-doos in this film. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, a lot, <laughs> a lot of sea dudes. <laughs> a lot of sea dudes, man. Uh, the hopper. I mean, what's this? Isn't too far removed from the hopper getting sick, and yet in this, he he has a physicality. He looks, um, he looks very sturdy, and he's bald, and he's got leather and shoulder pads, and he looks really healthy in this man. And it's crazy because you know, five ten years later, he was just he was a lot more frail. Yeah. Mm. So it's
2: uh, you know sad. you know that he. Do you know that he had a problem with uh, depth perception and he kept on falling in the water at the start of the filming? <laughs> no way. <laughs> oh, he's, he's not used to being at sea. Um, it was just something I read on the trivia because we were kind of going through the film last night and I was like, right, we've got to look at the trivia. It's like, Dennis Hopper had no depth perception and kept on falling in the water during the start <laughs> oh, of the film. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, um, really tickled me.
3: <laughs> yeah, that would be inferior. Oh, fuck. <laughs> that would be awful man yeah he's
1: a uh, he almost feels like he had a lot of respect coming into this i mean this is the he in the 90s he was the go-to guy to play the heavy in films it seemed like mm-hmm. and uh because he had come off speed which would you know
3: it was a bit of a, re- a return to um uh public adoration i think for yeah
1: him. yeah so he started getting, you know, these performances as playing the heavies and films and stuff. And I remember when he was cast in this, I was like, "Well, that's perfect." Because I, you know, who originally was going to be casting this and who turned it down? Who it was Gary Busey?
3: <laughs> no way!
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! If Gary Busey would have played Deacon. This would have Get been like insane. one of the best films in <laughs> the 90s for me.
3: Yeah, no doubt. Man, but uh, unfortunately
1: he turned it down. He wasn't in the mood. So <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Hopper's having a blast here, man. He's chewing cigarettes left and right. He's uh he's just having a good time.
3: He is. And it's a shame that the um, you know, the Italians weren't still making post-apocalyptic films to, to riff on this one. <laughs> it would have been interesting who they cast in their uh, film, but I have to say some of the big set pieces in this I quite like. Um, like the assault on the city is really good. There's ramps and guns. And speaking of crossbows, there's some flaming crossbows. And yeah. uh, again, this is all practical stuff, right? I mean, it's it's stuff that stuntmen had to do. And
1: Yeah, there's about 100. I was looking at the cast. There's about 100 or 150 stuntmen on this film.
3: Oh, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. There, there's a lot of stuff that's worthy in this film. As As film fans, like we're all film fans, whether you think the final product of this film works or not, there is a lot of merit um in the film and the production of the film um so uh there's a lot of machetes being thrown at sternums and knives various bladed instruments thrown into sternums in this film yes mostly by the costs yeah. um there's a pretty crazy stunt with uh, triple horn when the seed on the sea is having with triple horn and the child hanging <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> really wild stuff um Great line by Hopper. One of the few I wrote down when he says uh, he, he's getting outfitted with a with a fake eyeball, and he says <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> he says it does look like shit and it feels like cold shit. <laughs> just, it, it, it almost feels like the kind, of, the kind of line that Hopper improvised.
1: Yeah, I would yeah. say a lot of his lines are improvised. You know? <laughs> I like I like when he says "Let's
2: ride." Oh yeah, love the way he, he, he doesn't does. have an awful lot of dialogue in it, but you can you can yeah. tell it's just. Addle a bit, it's fine. Just just do a lot of shouting and throw a lot of cigarettes. You'll be good. <laughs>
3: yeah, and that's one of the, kind of one of the things that the film's missing a bit is not enough Hopper, right? But uh... well,
1: I, I think it's twofold. I think it's Hopper, not enough Hopper, and I think, and I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that thinks this, but I feel like his immediate crew of heavies is lacking.
3: They're pretty bumbling, other than the one uh, sledgehammer-esque. Uh... Yeah, uh, I like there's a lot of mediocre henchmen in that uh, crew. Visually, they're
1: interesting, but nobody really kind of brings any gravitas there, to the role. There,
3: there's no Harold Diamond in the, in the bunch. Yeah, no locks in. No locks in. Uh, interesting choice to make Costner such a shit heel for most of the film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's okay with you know children being sold off um, in human trafficking and sort of for for you know um, you know kind of rapey things and. He just—he's very, very much kind of a mercenary, and he even—he even gives him kind of this Clint-esque thing of instead of a cigarillo, he he has like a toothpick or something in his mouth most of the film. Wasn't it wasn't a lighter; he had a oh, lighter in his mouth for right. quite a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, what else? here? Yeah, I'm almost on my notes. Uh, uh, of course, the old trick of "I'll breathe for both of us." <laughs> <laughs> which, which, is, which is great That's a uh, good first date line yeah. Hell yeah <laughs>
1: I said the yeah. same thing to Will when I met him in Toronto <laughs>
3: That's right uh, On the shores of Lake Ontario yeah. um, <laughs> What's great is even the even the sea dudes in this have chain mail You know that they outfit them all with chain mail um, yeah. There is some Sorry what were you going to say Rick?
1: No I was just uh, I was thinking about that The uh, chain mail on, on the equipment I was like you know We need a more chain mesh shirts though
3: Yeah, they didn't even wear my shirts. Uh, As much as there's little CGI in this, the CGI there is is so fucking bad. Like It's like Escape from L.A. bad. (laughs) (laughs) It's really bad. Uh, But, I mean, you know, you can't penalize it too much. It's over the time, right? I mean, this is almost 20 years ago. Um, I'm done my notes. Uh, You know, maybe I'll save it till the end because I want to make sure you guys get to say your pieces. But... In case we do forget, people have to go through this cast and look at who's in it, because um, the main golden child in this, just to give you a little example, um, was Napoleon Dynamite's girlfriend. Um, Uh, Fucking Jack Black plays like a scummy helicopter pilot in a small role.
1: Almost Um, unrecognizable because he doesn't take his goggles off or anything.
3: Yeah, and he's smoking. His voice really gives it away, and his round face. But if you go through the cast in this film... Um, like I said, Mister Noodle from Elmo is um, one of the, the key characters, uh, one of the almost elders, um, you know, as far as the white hats go. But this cast is chock full of um, of character actors that'll just blow your mind as far as the stuff they've done. So anyway, I'll kick it over to one of you guys. Yeah,
1: James, Paul, which one of you guys? Go
4: on, Paul. All right, then. Okay. Well, um, well, just have a look at now. notes. Have we got? Um. Uh. Um, well one of the first, first things I noticed is that they're at sea so and when they're burying people why do they bury them in dirt I don't understand it <laughs> is it dirt or is it, yeah, shit? it almost looks yeah, like- yeah, oh, shit it looks like I mean, shit <laughs> yeah like they're at sea you can just throw them into the sea but they bury Sludge. them in shit yeah
3: yeah, it's kind of unfortunate a bit unceremonious uh, you know not much respect for the dead <laughs>
1: yeah I know I, and Costner does a scene in that and I'm thinking you know what, what's up wonder, with that I wonder
3: what that was made of because he goes you know I think chin deep in the stuff yeah he does
1: so I don't know oatmeal maybe I hope
3: but again if we got a commentary track we'd be able to see oh yeah and this was this substance uh, you know we'd be able to hear that
4: yeah you had that line didn't you um you have been sentenced to recycling. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> it's so awful. It's so
3: awful and it's so not recycling. Like you're it's like a toxic waste dump. Yeah. Not really recycling now, is it? But I don't know.
1: They need to exp- um, they need to explain that more. There was well, actually there was a lot of things that weren't explained, so I guess I
4: shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have um it was one of the one of the entramen, well, we we were talking about a minute ago. The one of them, it might have been an Enchman. I've just got wrote down here, squeal piggy mask, um, and <laughs> so somebody had a um, a, a pig shaped mask on that. Um, really crack me up. I um, I really enjoyed it. I thought it it, I thought I w- when I watched it that I would not enjoy it at all um, on second watching. But I had a good time with it. I thought. Um, the it, it paced fairly fairly well although it lagged a little in the middle um i agree i agree it's
3: a bit flabby in the middle
4: uh, there, there was that, um there was a bloke in there who was uh, an older guy who was locked up um like underneath um, Dennis sopper's ship and he just really, really it, it looks like he could be Bubbles granddad from Trailer Park Boys
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah you the know? guy that was yeah, the other right that he would open the uh, the hatch door and I think he spits on him at one point
4: <laughs> yeah you, you, I mean if you like we were saying before as well you have um, like if you look at the actors Kim Coates who he, yeah Kim Coates Savannah, man yeah, he's. I mean, his Irish accent is awful, but uh, yeah, he's, he's a Canadian actor. It should be said. Yeah, he's one of my
1: favorite character actors, and he ends up relegated, sadly, to a lot of a lot of bad. I don't know. I, I don't know how to explain it. He ends up relegated, sadly, to a lot of bad films. <coughs>
3: yeah, I, I, I like the turn because it's Kim Coates, but um, it, you know, but it's, it's a bit it's, of a thankless role.
1: Yeah, but it's Kim Coates doing Robin <laughs> Williams doing an, doing
3: a Irish accent. That's what it's doing, about a, doing a leprechaun sort of. <laughs> Like broad
1: what? Irish yeah. accent. He's yeah. like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, what the hell did he yeah. just say? Oh, I know. I had to turn the subtitles on. Let's put it that way. Did That's you funny. really? <laughs> For that scene, yeah, I did. <laughs> I'm not making that up.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the code's bringing it thick, like Irish dude.
4: <laughs> um, again, like as Will proves, De- Dennis Hopper, he just had me in stitches with some of his one-liners and they were properly improvised. I mean, there was one where his eyes, just where he was having that new eye put in and he turns around and he goes, I've got to keep an eye out for that icky freak. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, so cheesy. And then, well, um, like, you, you said before as well that like it was meant, it was a family summer blockbuster, but there was that line there where um, Dennis Hopper says to the little girl, he says, how about a cigarette? You're never too young to start. And it's like, you could see why that would piss a lot of people off, like, taking kids and things like that. As well as, like, I mean, I don't know how your rating systems work. We have you, you for Universal, where anybody can watch it. Then you have PG, which is Parental Guidance, and then you have 12.
3: 12 and 15 and 18 you guys have,
4: right? Yeah. So yeah. this was a 12, but a lot like of at that age, you may be just about to go into high school over here, so you might hear bad language. But they work, I'd say, for a twelve, for the time especially, there were a lot of bad language in it. Mm-hmm. Well, um, that
3: and that, and like we said, there's piss drinking, there's um, near rape of you know single digit age children.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the the Kim Coates scene is a,
3: uh, <coughs>
1: I, yeah, I got a rapey vibe. <laughs>
4: oh, very much so. <laughs> yeah. And well, that, yeah, yeah. That made my skin crawl. That actually. <laughs> yeah. It's um. So yeah, it's, it's got some quite dark undertones, really, to it. The on the fate when on the first watch you wouldn't necessarily see, but after revisiting it, it's um. It's it's quite dark underneath underneath all the massive explosions and the basic storyline. Mm-hmm. Oh, it definitely yeah. is. There was one part as well. I've got this written down there, where the I think um, it's got to be one of the scenes where Opera um, and his um, instrument are doing the sh- the thing, and you have the Blues Brothers theme <laughs> tune just randomly <laughs> thrown into it. And uh, but, uh, that you know, was
2: definitely a note. <laughs>
4: <laughs> is, that, is that the scene where he's riding,
1: getting pushed around in the car? Is that that scene? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. yeah, he's oh, throwing, that that whole thing feels improvised. It feels like they got a thousand people together and said, "We're just gonna let Dennis do what the fuck he wants to do." And it also just feels like a uh, an insane moment. I think he's throwing cigarettes.
3: Yeah, that's very right. Strange. Very does not feel organic with the rest of the film. It's such a almost like wacky montage <laughs> scene. I know. It's very weird. Yeah.
1: It was one of my favorite scenes of the film, though. <laughs> <laughs> 'Cause it's so out of place. It's like one of the it's it's not my make make or break, but it's like, you know, it's so out of place it's just, it's very memorable.
4: Yeah. And there was that as well, like there was one scene where you just get this ginormous fish appear out of nowhere. Now you you're at sea. Yeah, and unless you've killed them all off to eat, I thought I thought that could have been something else he had exploded. I mean, I know the main part of the movie was you've got to fight off these smokers, but you didn't see any, like, sea animals or anything like that. Or, yeah. you, you know, you could have thrown in some mutated sea animals after all, like, the pollution that's caused it and what have you. But you didn't have none of that. They just had this one scene where a giant fish... Pops out of the water and right, it gets killed, and that's it. and they didn't explore that anymore.
1: You bring up a good point. I think they really missed the ball. Now, obviously, I think it was probably budgetary because at this point, they probably had spent so much money, they're like, Fuck, we can't do the fish stuff.
3: Well, they use, like you guys said, they use all the fucking steel (laughs) in the state of Hawaii, so
1: they're like, Fuck, we can't build any fish. Um, (laughs) But you would think that in a world where, In in a world where the continents would sink. (laughs) <laughs> that the the aqua world uh, an Aquaman himself that none but the the fish would uh you know there'd be an evolution of fish being more dominant than humans, you know it's the one area where humans aren't the top of the food chain anyway we'd get dropped in the middle of the ocean and all of a sudden we're <laughs> we're near the bottom of the food chain, yeah, but at the bottom, yeah, so I feel like there's a real missed opportunity with nature uh in this film, but at the same time, I think it was probably a you know, a total mess behind the scenes and they might have had an angle where nature played a bigger part, but...
3: Well, also, I think maybe the studio didn't want that. They wanted an adventure film, a popcorn film, right? I think maybe Costner wanted to make a darker film, a more, I'm guessing, wanted to make a more mature dark film, as we've seen with some of the, as Paul was saying, some of the dark undertones, but when the studio is ponying up that kind of money, they need a certain uh, level of, uh, or um, a certain rating for a film that can at least ensure some return on... (laughs) <laughs> on that fucking budget
1: 175 million without marketing so
3: oh my god
1: at the most expensive film at the time of the time mm-hmm. at, the, at the time uh which is why it's got such a uh history but i feel like i still feel like there was something there and i feel like reynolds and costner who have a storied history together yep uh couldn't come to terms with some things the studio probably got involved i feel like costner was mostly responsible i don't know this but i feel like he was mostly responsible for the angles it ended up taking because uh i know that this this film the budget the fact that it didn't make a lot of money i know it hurt him but i also know that this film hurt him in hollywood circles as well that uh he did not get along well with the production team and he's quote unquote became hard to work with
3: oh yeah we even heard that with them um, the story on our bonus episode about uh, uh, Costner being a bit of a, a dickhead. So at the height of your your A-list powers, who's to say, you know, not to tell tales at a school, but yeah. you know, maybe he was a bit difficult at that point. He felt like he wanted to wield something. Maybe it was a passion project. You know, I don't know the genesis of the project, sadly.
1: Well, I know on the IMDb trivia, it says the one thing that's really interesting is that they had to throw this in there. And I don't know if it's real, but it almost feels like a, a dig at Costner is that he stayed in a $4,500 a night suite with a cook and a... And a masseuse and all these things, but the crew would stay in these like ramshackle hotels. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Brutal. So I don't know if
1: it's true. Now it could be, but I don't know if it's true. Mm-hmm. But it almost feels like somebody's saying, Fuck you, Castner. I
2: read um I read a quote saying that uh, Costner should direct every film he stars in. So then he can work with his favorite actor and his favorite director <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that, pretty much sums up this, uh, this vanity project. <laughs> that,
1: that's, that's, that's Kevin Reynolds saying that because him and yeah, Reynolds, that's right. him and Reynolds, man, they, they, they are one. In the, and then Kevin Reynolds is a good filmmaker. Yeah. He has made some good films. I, I would recommend if you guys have not seen, uh, the beast, I believe is what it's called with, uh, Jason <coughs> Patrick. Uh, and it's a really good film. And, uh, of course, you know. Unfortunately, he's been saddled with Costner, so most of his films are like Robin Hood and yep. <laughs> and uh, uh, Fandango and stuff like that. Fandango's a good film, but he did Robin Hood, he did Waterworld, he did stuff like The Count of Monte Cristo and stuff like that. He did the One Eight Seven film with uh, Monte
3: Cristo's a good film, I'll yeah. say.
1: Yeah, but then I thought, well, him and Costner are done because Waterworld ruined them. But then they got back together and did the Hatfields and McCoys recently. <laughs> yeah, they did yeah. three
4: episodes together. Didn't they? <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. So for some strange reason, these guys have that, you know that relationship that you just can't explain
2: oh, there's a good Klitschke story and Herzog. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah. uh, all
1: right go ahead paul sorry we keep cutting you off but uh
4: no we're just saying it's like kinsky and Herzog, their relationship <laughs>
1: yeah yeah it, yeah i mean kevin reynolds whole career is going to be tied to kevin costner whether he likes it or not at this point shame and also, I don't know if you guys know, but uh, Kevin Reynolds also wrote the original screenplay for Red Dawn. The uh, the original Red Dawn. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, I did know that. Mm-hmm. So, he was an up-and-comer, and then he ran into somebody named Kevin Costner. <laughs> the two Kevins. <laughs> yep, very interesting. And it seems like every time he casts Kevin, he has to have some kind of weird hairdo. <laughs> so I think about everything him and Costner have done together, Costner's had bad hair.
3: But Costner doesn't really have good hair to begin with. It's a bit wavy and thin, so
4: there's not a whole lot
3: you can do with that.
1: Yeah, we just keep cutting Paul off. Go ahead, Paul.
4: <laughs> oh no, I'm fine. I've got nothing else to say on it, so All we right. can All hand right. it over to James. If, uh,
2: yeah, sure. Um, first, first real note was uh, th- they should have teamed up with Castellari on this film because they have been <laughs> able to slash the budget by a shit lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So. Uh, this this film I've always known about, and it, it's quite crazy to think that I'm getting into watching films that are 20 years old from when I was a child. It just kind of goes to show that I'm I'm growing up. I'm 30 this year. So it's uh, I'm getting to that stage now where I'm like this isn't 20 years old. Oh fuck, this is 20 years old. Yeah. Um, I know. <laughs> and uh I, I knew nothing about this film. Um absolutely nothing. You wouldn't think that I could uh, I could uh, you know not know a single thing about a film like this. Um my my first real note <laughs> when I was watching the film was that Kevin Costner has a kind of like um a wrestler look about him. He's he's all <laughs> tooled up. He's got the you know the the little ponytail going on. And, yeah, the, it, it does have a a very Mad Max at sea vibe, and you get to see at the start of the film as well that. You know, he's obviously on his own for quite a long time and he kind of reverts back to primitive behavior where he's, you know, kind of scoping the boat and running up the, um, running up poles and doing roly polies everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. That's a a good (laughs) point, James, because it almost, he almost feels like a, like a monkey. Yeah. 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 Why does he do
1: that roly poly on the net thing? Why does he do that?
3: (laughs)
2: It really, (laughs) like when I was taking most of my notes, because my, when I was sat with my friend, he was like, Oh, you taking notes for the podcast. I was like, Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to have to try and look at it from a kind of, um uh, a a review kind of perspective instead of just like taking the piss so <laughs> i i did really enjoy the film i've got i've got to put that across um I was genuinely, genuinely surprised at the reveal of him being a fish. <laughs> I had no idea. And somebody's um, like, he's a mutant. and on, has he got gills? He's like, yeah, he's a fish. I was like, oh my God, he's, he's a fish man. So um, that was absolutely genuinely mind-blowing uh, reveal. I thought the, uh, the initial attack scene on the, uh, on the floating uh, city, if you will, kind of had like a gala feel about it. You expect yeah. someone with a phone to be uh and here come the skidoos and the going up ramps (laughs) and the explosions and you just kind of got hopper maniacally directing people what to do from his boat i have no real idea what he was saying but um (laughs) yeah fighting around as he eats Um, cigarettes yeah well that's that's one thing i was coming on to there has to be some tobacco funding in this film (laughs) somewhere (laughs) there was a pan over of black death um and i was thinking black death oh that's the vodka but no, googled it. There was a cigarette company called Black Death Cigarettes. Yeah, uh, I, I had no idea. So I'm googling this. I was like, how can you buy a company called Black Death Cigarettes? <laughs> um, just just absolutely crazy. Like you know, I, I don't smoke anymore. But if I was any uh, if I was any other way inclined, I'd have been absolutely chewing the fuck out of those cigarettes. Um, <laughs> On the action side of things, very, very good. I, I can't fault the action set pieces at all. Um, really well choreographed for the amount of things that were going on. And, and as you alluded to, it's kind of crazy how nothing went wrong, especially with the kind of underwater net scenes Oof. and when you're in a cage in that kind of pool lake. And, yes, yeah, really, really well directed on that front. But I think the the, the drama aspect was just a little bit TV special. Um, yeah. There were certain bits between Costner and the Triple horn where... Uh, you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm just waiting for the ad break now so you can get back to the action when we come back. Yeah,
5: yeah.
2: Um, an hour and 20 minutes in, and you see the first shark. Um, again, we've <laughs> we alluded to this, but I need to see a lot more sharks at sea. <laughs> you see a fin, and that's it. It's, it's an absolute well, shot. Well, <laughs> if it was Castellari, it would be the last shark, wouldn't it? It's actually, it'd be chewing the fuck out of everything. it uh, <laughs> be uh, more, uh, more actually more growling more and shit. Growling <laughs> and shit. <laughs> 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 yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, and it's, it's alluded to uh, when when the kid's captured and he's like, he doesn't have a name, so death can't find him. <laughs> I, I, I quite like uh, the, the man with no name aspect that you, you, you said before. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's a really, really bizarre vanity project, but it kind of comes off in some strange way. Um, anyone who said they didn't like it or didn't want to see it when it first came out, I'd I'd highly recommend this now just to go in with an open mind and you're going to be in for, it's a treat. It's, it's, a, it's an action-packed treat. It, it might not live up to full expectations, but, you know, for a two-hour Hollywood action film, you can do a lot worse. Um, oh, yeah. If you look at recent times where it's just CGI, 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 this actually has some practical effects. Um, acting aside, it's, it's all very, very good. Um, and <laughs> towards the end of the film you kind of get the feeling that they're figuring out what the tattoo is. It's a map. And then all this time, they've just been reading the fucking thing upside down. <laughs> 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 it's like, Oh yep, yeah, Upside down. There we go. And, uh, m- my last note is, uh, when they arrived to the Island, all I could think about was Jurassic Park. <laughs> I just wanted to take, like a Rex raw when they let on the Island. Um, that could have been a whole different sequel altogether. But, uh, yeah, it's, it- i i enjoyed it a lot it was it was a lot of fun uh, i had a lot of laughs um not the worst two hours i've ever spent in my life very very good yeah that's, that's all mine.
1: that's all you can ask for right there um Absolutely. uh yeah like i said i remember reading all the bad press about this as well um i was a subscriber to premiere magazine back in the day and they, they would have big articles on the the further this one and titanic although titanic totally totally turned the uh turned the articles on their nose because it ended up becoming this gigantic phenomenon. Everybody thought it was going to be this huge bomb. Um, But Waterworld, on the other hand, did not. Uh, It it was not a huge bomb. It was a bomb. But uh, like a lot of these films that are quote-unquote considered bombs, if you look into them, this film actually did make money. uh, But it didn't make much. I mean, the investment and everything else. I mean, it probably lost money on the marketing side and adding all that actual... you know stuff to it but it did. it wasn't a huge i mean it made money worldwide so um yeah the uh, I, I agree the action set pieces and all that stuff is really cool because everything's so practical that's one of the things i do love about this film the, the ship that he gets on toward the end it's this huge thing and everything has a real tangible feel to it like nowadays uh-huh. everything would be on a green screen stage and only half the set would be built or something like that so everything now there is some bad green screen stuff in here but uh-huh but uh, <laughs> but at the same time i i love these big sets the uh, you know i hate that the reality of that is is that that that, that era is gone because it costs so much to build those and uh-huh. that you know we wipe out a <laughs> we wipe out a, a whole island's <laughs> a supply of steel i uh, hope they didn't need it for anything <laughs> but uh it's pretty crazy um but i do like seeing that and i think that's what costner and reynolds were going for that kind of old like David Lean type of filmmaking, Sergio Leone, oh, yeah. duck you sucker type of filmmaking. Where let's get everything we possibly can, you know, and just throw it into the scene, you know, for two for ten seconds of film. Yeah. Let's just do it, you know. Very expensive. Um, the, I do feel like for me that some of the stuff in the middle, especially toward the actual travel toward land, does get a little. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is maudlin. Maybe maybe uh, a little uh, over sentimental. Sentimental and it does kind of take me out of the film a little bit because it is pretty action the first hour is is a a whole lot of fun Mm -hmm. uh then there's that piece and then there's like the last 30 minutes which is cool again uh so i do feel like there is a a lag in there and you know of course it does have that beyond thunderdome feel i kind of asked this question though and i've already talked about reynolds and all that stuff and all the stuff behind the film what is it with Children or people and memories and fucking music boxes in cinema. Oh God! I am so fucking sick and tired of music boxes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I am home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, your parents tattooed you before they shipped you out to so sort of great parents.
1: <laughs> it's so amazing to me that I had totally forgotten about the music box, and I'm sitting there thinking, if she opens that fucking thing up and it's a music box. I'm gonna lose my mind, and sure enough, it was some type of music box or something. I don't know what the fuck it was, but wow. it's amazing to me. The music boxes in cinema, you know. Just I don't know. <laughs> just it drives me nuts. Also, the other thing I have just a little bit of pet peeve, but quit putting the fucking dirt in your mouth.
0: Oh, I know. <laughs> oh.
1: I know you haven't seen Earth in a while, but it doesn't mean you gotta fucking eat it. <laughs> yeah,
3: how does that become a thing? <laughs> I don't
1: know. It's one of those things, you know. I guess. I guess it's like a Mad Max thing. Did they taste gas in Mad Max? Did they taste it? Uh, I don't remember if gasoline. they tasted it. I don't remember if they tasted the gasoline. I don't remember if they tasted it or not. But I, I, I don't recall them doing that. It's no,
3: like, I don't think they did. It's
1: almost like cocaine in this film. You know, people are like rubbing <laughs> on their teeth on their top teeth.
3: Yeah, they are, man.
1: But it is very strange. But no, I watched this on blue. It was a good rewatch. Uh, I had some issues with. Uh, I know they spent a lot of money on the costuming for this film. Uh, it, the costume is a little ridiculous in this film. I said something off the air before we started, uh, with the, the, the matching, <laughs> uh, striped suit that Kos is wearing. It's pretty ridiculous, but, uh, I, I like some of that. I wish they would have gotten more into the,
3: uh, I like the costumes on the whole, though I have yeah. to say.
1: I, well, yeah, I like them mostly. I mostly. I had some issues with some other stuff, but they're very '90s. Let's put it that way. <laughs>
4: yeah. <laughs> well, when you get any post-apocalyptic movie, I always find it amazing. You only ever seem to have like one set of clothes.
1: Yeah. 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 yeah.
4: They, you know, they never f- think of packing more than one shirt or one pair of trousers. And I mean, I suppose in Waterworld, at least you'd be able to keep them clean through <laughs> washing them all the time. But um, with all that water around you, but yeah, I do find it quite, quite mind boggling. And they're always like, unless it's through deterioration or something like that, they are always the worst clothes. You know what <laughs> I mean? You never where are you when we're we gonna get a post a couple of apocalypse movie where like you know they've got diesel jeans on or <laughs> you, you know what
2: I mean?
1: Yeah, well those aren't gonna deteriorate. Neither is the members uh, only jacket, man. That's gonna <laughs> that's gonna hold steady.
2: At but, some point across the road, you're gonna come across a a, 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 disp- a disused. Uh, superstore with suits in it and stuff you need someone who's gonna you know have a bit of high class in this uh yeah. dystopian world we're heading to in a few years time <laughs> <laughs> it's always
1: it's always interesting to me though they don't take the route they they always seem to take the route of repurpose well no not only that but repurposed leather yeah
3: always always. <laughs> it's,
1: you know i don't even think there's any football pads football shoulder pads in this well, Oh, you
3: know, there is on there is on hopper it seems yeah, american
1: football uh yeah. sh- shoulder pads but the the uh it always seems to be repurposed leather. It seems to me like if the world was to go underwater, it seems like you would repurpose things that already exist. Now, that's not to say leather doesn't exist. We all know it does, but there seems to be, you know, there would be people like there would be people with repurposed members-only jackets, and you know, like one Nike, one Nike, one Adidas shoe. You know, <laughs> it'd be like these kind of crazy things like that. But they always seem to go with the uh, little bit of the S and M vibe. I don't know what it is, but uh, you know, teach their own. Uh, this Costner's is bizarre because it has the stripes. That drives me nuts. The stripes thing just drives me nuts for some reason. I don't know. Reminds me of uh, the '90s very much, though. <laughs> the leather with stripes. <laughs> <laughs> I wish they would have went more into the mutant stuff, though. I really wish there would have been more of that. I'd like to see. Absolutely,
3: yeah, where was there ever talk of this being like a trilogy, though? Like, because maybe that was where they were going was to to get into the mythology more.
1: Maybe because without giving away the ending of this film, the ending of this film is interesting, right? I mean, yeah. I could yeah. see where you know there was hope. I mean, I know Costner got percentage of the gross on this film, so there was hope that it would be huge, you know. And uh, I know he got fourteen million to make it, and I know he got percentage of gross.
2: Wow, that's even that's a good amount of money, man. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, he was huge, man. I mean, he was huge. I mean,
2: what did how much of his own money did he put into the film? It was it
1: he was, put twenty uh, something million of his own. That's yeah, why that's right. I, that little comment about the forty five hundred dollar a night where he stayed thing, that's why I don't, I don't really see that as, you know, totally Costner being an asshole because the guy put $22 million of his own money mm, wow. into this thing to try to get it done because Reynolds walked off. <laughs> Reynolds at some point said, fuck you. I'm done with this shit, man. I'm not working with you again. <laughs> and then in 2012, he didn't have any work and he's like, hey. But no, I mean, he he just said, you know, he's walking away. So Costner at some point ended up taking the whole thing over. So.
2: It's funny you should say about sequels as well because there, there's a scene in the film where Triple Horn and Costner clearly get it on, and there's got to be a sequel with some mutant fish baby. <laughs> yeah. There must be a script around somewhere. Yeah.
1: <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's all I got. So let's get into our make or breaks MVTs. Large William. Okay.
3: okay, make or break are the set pieces. The action set pieces, like we've all kind of said, they're really great, man. I mean, by any measure, um, you know, hats off to those men and women that worked on uh, choreographing those and executing those. MVT is the production design. Um, The film looks great for what it is, and it really pays off. And my score is a 7.25 out of 10. I think it's a good watch, and I'd buy it on blue at the right price. Um, And I would like to hear more about the film via commentary and other special features if it ever came uh, to pass.
1: Yeah, agreed. Paul, what you got, buddy?
4: Um, For me make a break, I'd say the um, last action scene on Oppa's ship, I thought that was um, really well done and it helped pick the film up from where it had lagged previously and you had um, without... Well, I I don't want to spoil it. I won't say what really made that scene for me but there was something really corny but it made me laugh in the way it happened. So um, that's my make or break. My MVT is Hopper. Um, Yeah, okay. I thought it was absolutely hilarious in the few lines... he did did have Um, and um, my score is just a little bit higher than Willie's a 7.5 out of 10 I um, really really I really enjoyed it and I I didn't think I'd be saying this I thought I'd be trashing it but it is a lot better than I remember it being Mm -hmm. first time Mm -hmm. round going into it with a more critical eye I definitely um, and like you said looking at the production side of things and all that I I think it deserves that score well it's
3: it's always good to separate yourself back so many years later from the critical lynch mob because I think we all can become guilty of that to the pile on for a film everyone piling on to to tear it apart, especially when you hear whispers of <laughs> vanity and and um and arrogance you know you want to see those fail and you're almost
2: you know, trick yourself into believing they're worse than they are because of that yeah yep.
1: James, what you got
2: um make a break. I'm going to go for the the opening kind of attack scene. Um, it's a testament to how ridiculous the film is in in certain aspects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it really it, it was fantastic. It was it was such a well choreographed set piece, and especially when you're saying things could have gone wrong, and it seemed like nothing did. Yeah. Um, MVT. I'm actually going to go for Costner, to be honest. I mean, nice. he obviously he obviously got a lot of flack for this um, in in some circles, and it, it is does have that feeling that it's his film, but he he holds it up quite well to be honest. Even though he's acting at times is a bit I don't know, for use of a better word, vanilla. Um he, he pulls it off, man. It, he he pulls it off. He he does a really good job. Um score wise, I'm gonna go six point seven five. Um it, it's definitely one that I'm gonna bear in mind for future watching as well uh I, I did really enjoy this when when paul first said Waterworld, world i was a bit oh really but the more i've kind of thought about it and i've gotten into it it's, it's it's a really good film i enjoyed it a lot
1: nice nice uh interesting fact about costner i forgot to mention that this is he i don't know if he's got a biography he's written or not but he, he has an interesting life he's had a very interesting life and one of the most interesting things i read about him is he was only five foot two when he got out of high school
3: seriously he ended up being
1: he ended up being six foot one by the time he got out of college isn't that fucked up that's a late growth spurt man
4: jeez (laughs) that's
1: (laughs) fucked up but he he he, i remember him always saying that he never got over being short that he always had issues with that for his whole life and he still does it's insane um and also that he got into acting by accident he met like richard burton on an airplane or something like that and richard burton of all people got him into acting.
0: (laughs) wow That's
1: cool. I'm sure Burton was sober. Anyway, <laughs> on an airplane. Anyway, uh, my uh, Make or Break is also the first action set piece. I mean, I, I think it's a great, like, siege moment. We talk about siege moments on the show a lot, and Will and I are both big fans of siege films anyway. Uh, and it's it's got this, like, great, like, siege. I mean, I just think it was really great, and I had the surround sound pumping and the, the piggy mask and <laughs> yeah, all the stuff going mask. on, the sea dudes oh, jumping. I, I yeah, I, I love that they, you know, they they... They use these uh, the water skis, the water skis. And they have these makeshift ramps to go over the thing. You know, I love this whole like almost like medieval slash post-apocalyptic type of siege Mm -hmm. that happens. It's really pretty creative. And you can see where a lot of money went into that siege. I mean, that just looks expensive, the whole thing. So, uh, yeah, I really love that moment. My MVT is also the production. I'm close to James on this one in the Costner role because I do believe this is like a movie star type film where movie stars are critical. To this type of story, and Costner does have, in my opinion, Costner has a lot of charisma. He has movie star charisma. I don't think he's a great actor, but he, I think he has that intangible charisma thing that nobody can explain. Agreed. Uh, but th- he does have it here, even though he does strange flips on his boat and all kinds of weird shit he does <laughs> <laughs> throughout the film. <laughs> so I don't know what he's doing, but uh, whatever. Uh, my score is similar to all yours it's a seven straight seven out of ten so we're all kind of in this we're all kind of in the same ballpark here than the you know revisiting this we all pretty much enjoyed it and it's it is not a bad blockbuster film it is a fun in some ways goofy and uh just genuinely i don't know good blockbuster film i think i think you know we don't do a lot of these type films on the show so it's kind of fun to go back and revisit these every now and then and uh, this one was fun to revisit. I have to say, I did have some problems with some parts in the middle, but other than that, total fun. I think I'll buy it. I'll be honest with you, I rented it, but on Blu-ray through Netflix. But I think I'll buy it because I know it's pretty cheap, and uh, the the disc looked good. And and uh, yeah, it really gave my surround sound a workout, and I had some fun. I'll buy it too. Well, I'm sure it's not expensive. Surely. <laughs>
4: no. <laughs> Right, it's so, about six six pound over here, so yeah, I can't see it being any more than ten dollars for you guys, something yeah. like that.
1: Wouldn't think so. Nice. Uh, all right, so we're going to take a short break. Come back and talk some danger diabolic diabolic. All right, we'll be back right after this.
3: Hey there boys and girls, this is Maverick New York filmmaker Abel Ferrara. Director of such films as Driller Killer,
0: Miss 45, Bad Lieutenant, China Girl, Bear City, and Nine Lives of the Wet Pussy. When I'm not out power drilling boats smoking rock cocaine, hanging out with Bruce Willis. Uh, when I'm not doing that, I'm listening to The Mill Creeps, the podcast, whatever the fuck that is. They covered my movie Driller Killer on the very first episode, so they're obviously sick fucks. If you like that kind of thing, check them out on Facebook or iTunes. Yeah, they're called the Mill Creeps. All right.
1: For more information, go to facebook.com slash creeps, millcreeps.lipson.com, or look up the Mill Creeps on iTunes or Stitcher. Favorite musician there. We're. Uh, <laughs> I <laughs> uh, we can't win them all. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> oh, um, okay. Danger Diabolic, 1968. Uh, this is uh, interesting to talk about for a number of reasons. First of all, Large William had never seen it before, which is baffling to me. Actually, it's almost baffling that you'd never seen Waterworld either. So both of these are baffling to me so it's kind of fun when my compatriot always has well i I think he feels the same way when i haven't seen something as well it's always fun to do these shows especially because it's kind of like you know so i have no idea what will thinks of this i I have an idea what james thinks because i've seen him talk about it and you know we it's kind of been tossed around stuff don't know what paul thinks exactly so i'm excited to hear that as well so uh i'll synopsize this and we're gonna let james take the lead on this one this is yet another Mario Bava film, and we've done quite a few Bavas now, um, and we've talked about him and stuff, so we're not going to go down that road. Uh, let's just say that this the synopsis is interesting. Faye Super Thief Diabolic. Is run-
3: that what they call him? They really call him Faye? I swear. That's what it that's says. Peculiar. Don't Faye, Faye.
1: <laughs> Faye Super Thief Diabolic runs around stealing jewels, gold, murdering innocent people, and being a nuisance to the government of a generic European country.
3: Is it Nathan Lane? Is that why they're calling him Faye? Did I mistake John Philip Law for... I would
1: say that Nathan Lane and John Philip Law are polar opposites when it comes to physicality. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this film has a little bit of a history, and uh, it's a bit of a cult film, so let's get into it, James.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, first off, I'd just like to apologize to Bernie Sticky because I really, really wanted to cover Shark Hunter, but I, I'd have been doing myself a disservice if I didn't pick... Uh, diabolic. <laughs> um, this film is incredibly close to my heart. Um, it's very much a gateway film into Italian cinema uh, for myself. Um, a friend of mine, back in the early days of downloading, managed to get hold of copies of uh, Barber films, Argento films, and we just used to sit around watching them on, on VCD or whatever the format was back in the day. Um, and, and this film struck a, a big, big note with me. I, I, I fell in love with it instantly. Um, it wasn't until six or seven years later where I could get it on DVD. Um, so yeah, it tells the story of Diabolic, who's almost your anti-hero for the next hour and a half. Um, it's it's a character that was created by the Guisani sisters um, in the early 60s. Um, and the the, the the comics are actually still selling to this day. Um, it goes to show how successful it, the, the, the character was throughout Italy. Um, I remember when I was in Rome a couple of years ago, and you kind of walked past um, magazine stalls and you could see them, you could see the, the yellow, yellow novels and the diabolic wow. comics um, it, it, it was incredibly cool to see um, and it just goes to show how how close to Italian uh, pop culture hearts diabolic is yeah. Um, yeah. but this is very very much uh, a Mario Bava film as well, um, I don't think any other director may would have been able to have pulled this off um, with Bava being the kind of master of his era um, there's a lot to put into this film that say, if you were to make a film like this nowadays, you'd be looking at probably waterworld style set pieces and, and, and oh, yeah. s- scale of um, just, you know, the enormousness of it. What Barber does is he tricks the viewer into thinking they're seeing something else yeah. when all they're really seeing is like a matte painting or a covered glass. Um, if you go to the part where you first go to Diabolic's cave and it looks like a big, vast cave where all it is really is just a, a cleverly painted, matte painting. Um, it's, it's, it's a superb film. Um, it, it, it really, really is. Yeah. Um, we get to the start of the film um, where the, the planner planning to try and capture Diabolic. Um, let, let, with, let, uh, like,
1: one let me say, James, that Dino De Laurentiis gave Bava $3 million to make this movie. Yes. And Bava only spent 400000
3: how that's I know I, I was going to say that too. It's unheard of.
1: Yeah, because he was and not it, used to having that much money. He only spent four hundred thousand dollars on this movie,
3: which in mm-hmm. today's money, I did the conversion. It would have only been two point eight million. It's amazing. Which is like like less than like most indie <laughs> movies. I know. I it's know. just insane, uh, and I, it's interesting, Jane. Just you know, before you get back to it here, that you did bring up the antihero thing because both films this week feel. Uh, they both have antiheroes, and they're very much um, yeah, yeah. spectacles uh, as far as their production design as well. So you, you know,
1: this kind of goes back. One well, something I forgot to mention on the Waterworld review, Roger Corman said he could have made Waterworld for four million dollars. They actually went to him. He said he could do it for four million.
3: <laughs> oh. Well he could have. I mean I could make it for two hundred dollars in my bathtub, but it doesn't mean you know you're gonna you're, you're gonna get the same film. Yeah. You know, you're gonna get fucking G.I. Joe's and Thundercats you know.
1: Yes. All right. Back back to get
2: Raiders of Atlanta, I'm joking. <laughs>
1: yeah, okay. <laughs> Go
2: ahead, James. Um, it's funny you should say that about the uh, the link between the anti-heroes because there is a very, very tenuous link between this and Waterworld, and that is John Philip Law actually starring in Dennis Hopper's The Last Movie. So, uh, yeah. oh yeah, there's, <laughs> there's, there's the tenuous link for the day. Um, nice. So, so we get the opening set piece where you get a first view of Barber's kind of camera trickery where you think you're looking at a, a huge monolithic structure, um, but it's, again, literally just a painting. Um, we get um, a, a, a serious situation um, there's trying to be the transporting this money a, a, across uh, to for the, the, the tax money across to get to the banks um, it's meant to be a serious situation but it ends up getting played out for comedy um, something that kind of sets the tone for the rest of the film uh, the police don't really know what they're doing um, you've kind of got the police chief trying to adjust roses and telling them how to get back to the posture um, yeah. the film is colored to give you a, a, a comic book feel Um it's it's very bright, it's very sixties, it's very psychedelic. Um mm-hmm. it it gives you a, f- a feel for what the, the diabolic character's all about. Um the, the there's the one scene um at at the bridge at, at the um at the, the the port where he's driving along and he sets off the smoke and the oh, yeah. kind of multicoloured smoke again gives you a feeling that you're you're in a comic book world now. You're not in yeah. a serious police world, you're dealing with a, a character who plays by his own rules. Um with his is quite absolutely stunning sidekick um and then you get to the infamous eyebrow close-up and the laugh and there you have it the the danger diabolic um (laughs) title set piece with with
1: easily one of the most iconic uh looks i think in cinema history i love uh the way john philip law looks in this film Mm. He looks great, yeah.
3: Yeah. in in the costume especially, because his haircut is does leave a little to be desired. <laughs> <Okay>. It's slightly <laughs> Spock meets Eddie Munster, but in in the mask, it looks brilliant, man. Yeah, he's,
1: it. It, it, well, he does a lot of acting with his eyes, and John Philip Law is not really – I've said this before. We've talked about him with uh, Death Rides a Horse, and we talked about him a little bit with the last uh, movie and stuff like that. And, of course, he's known mostly as – I guess his biggest role ever would probably still be Sinbad. I guess that's what he's always going to be known for.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, it was Barbarella as well. I Barbarella, think, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, in there People will to that quite a lot as well. Uh,
1: but he is not known as a versatile actor, but he has a great look. He did and,
3: well for himself, considering. Those are some iconic yeah. films we've mentioned.
1: No, no, he did well. He did well. I am not saying that, but he also made some total fucking shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're talking about some of the worst movies I've ever heard of and ever seen. <laughs> I mean, he's been in some total junk. Yeah. But uh, we do need to do Angel Eyes at some point, him and Eric Estrada uh, in a little action erotic film. There we go, brother.
2: Nice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, back back on point.
2: So, um, yeah, we, we get him uh, stealing the money and driving away in the uh, infamous Black Jaguar. Yes. Um, that leads to a, a, a quite a camp, almost helicopter chase, where you've kind of got him... Doing his driving along with the, the screen in the back. That was, that was quite interesting. <laughs> yeah. um, and then we get to the tunnel scene where we meet Marissa Mell for the first time. Yes. Uh, ooh, Marissa Mell. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, it's actually quite funny. Uh, two years, well, it's not funny at all, actually. Two years prior to making Diabolic she was in a, a, a serious car crash and almost lost an eye. Um, no way. Yeah, well. for, for two years she was out. Um, and this, I think this was like her big, big return. It doesn't look like there's absolutely anything wrong at all. She no. absolutely looks stunning. She Ironically, does. that is a tenuous link between that and our last film because Hopper did lose an eye somehow, didn't he? <laughs> yes. Oh,
3: there we go. Yeah. Yeah, I, would say probably, so I wouldn't have noticed that her eye looks any worse for the wear. Good, that's good to know. I never even yeah, yeah.
1: knew. I never even knew she was in a car wreck. So that tells you everything <laughs> I need to know. Because that man, if she has any scarring, it's it's not visible.
2: Mm. Hmm. And then the, um so they swap the Jaguars, and it, it comes to something that plays out a lot in the film, and it's his getaway and his whole persona is based on decoys. It's literally just a one-two switch, different car, done, that's it. It's, it seems that he can so easily fool the police. Um, it doesn't take an awful lot. The, the police are bumbling. The police the police chief doesn't know how to catch him. He has no idea. Um, it's He's a slippery character, but in, in, in his own way, he... Um, He's just, he just knows exactly what he's doing. He knows who he's dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He's, he's, he's always going to get away. Whatever situation he finds himself in, Diabolic's always going to find a way out. Yeah. And yeah. then we get the first look at the, uh, the Diabolic Cave, if you will. Um, again, <laughs> all down to Barber, Um, all the camera trickery, the models, the set models. What you think you're looking at is this vast sound stage when all it is is a painting in the back of a sound studio, uh, using toy models, um, it's it's absolutely fantastic that you think the amount of money that this film was made for and the production value that comes out of it is is absolutely insane.
3: Yes,
1: I
2: don't, um, I don't, I, sorry, I don't know too many directors that could stretch
3: a dollar like him because he was yeah. such a master of his craft. Um, wow. He was always able to make films look great, like even Planet of the Vampires. I mean, micro My. budget, but it looks
2: beautiful. Mm. Well, I mean, it's it, it's how his camera tricks will work. Is kind of taking almost something as little as a piece of junk and making it look like it's part of a big set. So it's almost the trick of the eye. There's one scene um, where there's almost like a fisheye lens that's concentrating on a fire alarm where he's going about his business, putting the money in the safe. And you think you're looking at a huge cavernous set piece when there's nothing really, because it's just focused on one tiny ign- insignificant piece of the the, the set. Um, and it's just completely taking you into this world It immerses you into a diabolics world. Um, and then we shortly get to quite possibly the most iconic scene of the film is the money on the bed scene. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <it's>, uh, <laughs> yeah you don't take home your money to put in the safe. You take it home to fuck on a bed.
1: <laughs> am, I, am I the only one that worried about uh, paper cuts?
3: Well paper cuts and money can be very dirty. Ooh, so yeah, yeah. you know. I wouldn't want to. Uh the bills look quite crisp to me. They did. They did look crisp, and I'd be willing to take that chance with the Mel.
1: That's why I was thinking about the paper cuts, is because of how crisp they look. I was like, ooh, that could be tricky. Yeah,
2: <laughs> But, but I mean, it's, yeah.
1: it's it's great though. It's great. It's 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 a total example of style over like uh, I don't know practicality because i mean who has a rotating bed uh, you know like that yeah, yeah of course yeah, i mean sure. it's just it's it's some one of those like ridiculously stylistic moments that i just love in cinema it's like you know if you really think about the logic behind it it makes no sense but man does it look fucking good <laughs> this huge um, bed all this money on it you got a tv on there it's just like yeah every man's wet dream <laughs>
2: <laughs> i mean there's, there's there's quite a few um you know, players from films that we've seen before, most notably Adolfo Celli, um, who we know from many, many films. Um, It's quite interesting to see him take this film on um, in and around the time of him starring in a James Bond film because I feel that even though there was a James Bond film before Diabolic, the later James Bond films owe a hell of a lot to Diabolic. Um, Yeah. There's certain scenes that you've seen recycled in Bond films later on down the line. um, Mm -hmm. And there's also a film... Go
4: on, Paul, Sorry. Well, just going to say the most famous one and,
2: and alluding to this film would have to be
4: um, st- what's the one with Christopher Walken in and um, Grace Jones? View to a Kill. Right. Yeah, View to a Kill. Yeah, View to a Kill. That owes a lot to this. One, one of the scenes, especially. If I, you I, don't agree with it. I don't want to spoil it, but. I
2: agree with that. Fi- yeah. Well, there's a, there's also the uh, the the scene with the emeralds and the shotgun as well, um, where he kind of has to go and get the emeralds out of a corpse. That's that's done in uh, Diamonds of Forever, I think it is. Um, and also, the, it kind of comes back to Django Kill with the uh, the gold bullets in the oh, body. Right. Um, yeah, there's there's just little nitbits here and there where you can tell they've taken this from that and it, it, it's very it's, it's incredibly well done. Um, my notes are a bit all over the place for this because I was just writing, writing, writing. So if anyone wants to kind of pick up where I've left off and I'll just kind of chime in as I'm going along, um, right. that'll be absolutely fine.
1: Okay. We uh we definitely will be able to do that, trust me. <laughs> 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 we are known to do that. Uh.
3: <laughs> we haven't mentioned that Ennio Morricone did the score for this film, um, it, which is quite a good score. I, I love the score for this film, actually. And that I, that guy, know, that guy, fucking hates Tarantino. Yeah, he does <laughs> That's for real. No, um, off the Christmas card list, I guess. for QT. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, Antonio Rinaldi was the DOP on this, and I made a note to that because I always seem to forget to make note of who Bava uses. Interestingly, Rinaldi only did he only lensed eight films, but all eight of those films were for Bava. So I have to think yeah. that he was a. Uh, uh, a, a good friend that was maybe a photographer or something or yeah. whatever the case may be, but he uh in the middle was eight films and
1: I would say uh, that 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 almost comes to the you know, you know that Baba was a cinematographer before, yeah, so I would say that almost comes with a working relationship that Baba and him probably were so tight, and he probably knew exactly what Baba wanted oh yeah that that 's probably why the only eight films he did were Baba films, right mm-hmm. exactly because you can say what you we we've talked about Baba before, and we 've talked about how neither one of us think he 's you know, the, the all-time great. We do both think he's a good filmmaker, but we don't think that he's this, you know.
3: I do think he's a master, but he leaves me cold. Yes. With with, with, with most of his films, not yeah. all.
1: But we've talked about this in the past and stuff. But one thing you cannot argue with Baba is his eye. He has a great oh. eye.
3: Mm, shot composition, I mean, just beautiful. No, this, just
1: gorgeous stuff. Even in his lesser films, there's moments where you're just like, oh, that's gorgeous.
2: Just going back to the soundtrack for a minute, I think it was um, it was voted in, I think it was like number three in some greatest soundtracks of all time list. I was oh, reading wow. an article a few years ago. I think it was like some from some men's magazine. I thought it was like GQ or something. Just when I was reading Diabolic tidbits, that kind of came up. Um, and it's interesting that um, Morricone uses uh, is Edda De La Rosa. Um, I thought it was her. You know, it's funny, but I always have a tendency whenever I hear
3: that kind of singing, her her very distinct style, I always have a tendency to make a note that it's,
2: it's very Etta esque but mm. I guess it actually was her this time. So yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Well, in, we know from Once Upon a Time in the West and Once Upon a Time in America, it's, it's <coughs> almost Morricone's go-to human voice. Mm. And she, she adds that kind of sultry, silky overtones that deep,
0: deep down. It, uh, <laughs> it works
2: so well throughout the film. Yes. Yeah, very, very good. Nice.
1: We should give some credit to Lumberto, man. He's an assistant director on this film, man.
2: Oh, was he? Yeah.
1: Oh right. Yeah. Lumberto cool. oh, right. was working with his dad. Very cool. <laughs> I didn't know
3: that. <laughs> I always think, it's weird. I always think of Lumberto as being younger than he is. Like I forget that, you know, he's, you know, probably like granddad age now.
1: Oh, he's nineteen forty four. He's he's up there,
3: man. Oh man. Yeah, he's definitely, you know, He's sixty set. Yeah. yeah. He's almost seventy. Yeah. He's um, sitting up here. You know, what's interesting, too, is the two Italian comic book films we've done on this show, um, Baba Yaga and this,
5: <laughs>
3: both look great. And I think that's something inherently, um, uh, you know, it's inherent in the Italian culture, just the, the aesthetic and the, the history of art and culture and how they have a great aesthetic. It's it's Not really similar to the conventional American comic book film, Um, but they they just work wonderfully, and I think they make a great double.
2: Mm. Well, there was another um, Italian comic book called Criminal with a K. Um, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There was was kind of there was the bank manager at the start of the film, who's who's kind of given the warning out. He actually plays the the police chief in the Criminal film. Um, So there's another little tie between the two films. Um, I've got I've got one note that I've I've put down is when when we get introduced to Valmont, um, Chelli's character his sixties bikini bottoms looking awful lot like nappies um, or diapers. <laughs> they're quite <laughs> puffed out and puffy, and you know you kind of want them to be shapely and and hugging the derriere instead of just looking like they're full of uh, nastiness. <laughs> yeah, the cookie man. It's oh, well,
3: it's funny because when we first I don't know if it's the first scene with Chelli, but the scene when he's on the yacht. My note was, there ain't no party like a Chelly party. <laughs> yeah, buddy. <laughs> he's, he's got women tanning on the yacht and he's having a good time. And
1: and he's, he's smacking dudes. He's sma- yeah, he's no, scaffy, n- scaffy, scaffy no, for everyone. No, and... no JB on the table, though, man. So he no, loses, no, he loses points. Funny. He loses points.
3: Yeah, was he going with the Cuddy Sark or something, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. But, uh. Chelly,
1: baby, come on.
3: Chelly. Uh, you know, this actually has, has an interesting cast, like you were saying, James. Renzo Palmer makes a little appearance. Yeah, yep. Which is very cool. And, um, uh, Michel Piccoli, the French actor, who's um, pretty famous. And he's he's pretty good in the film. You know, it's funny. Usually um, when you have an anti-hero, you don't have any rooting interests. And not to say you root for uh, anyone in the film on the other side, but I quite liked him. And you have to, if you don't root for him, you at least respect his character because he yeah. is admirable.
1: Just mm. just recently in Holy Motors, Michel Piccoli. That's right. All right. Nice. Yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> um, Anything else you really want to dig into James before we roll along
2: here? No, I mean, like I said, I'll I'll, I'll just chirp in. Um I just want sure. to get the film rolling and uh I'm sure you'll give me a refresh on my notes <laughs> will as well. So, yeah, run with it. All right. Uh, let
1: me uh let me yeah, throw yeah, in a few it, things here. Um this is easily one of my favorite Baba films and it's definitely top for me personally, top 5 comic book films ever made. Uh I really love the aesthetic of this. And uh, I think a lot of people forget. And when I rope in comic book films, I rope in everything modern era, you know, everything from Condor Man to freaking, yeah. you know, which, which isn't even a comic book. But it's still it's got that it's got that, you know, it's going for something. Uh, but I've in all that stuff and I really love the aesthetic choices of this one. It's almost it's almost like Batman TV show camp. Yeah. Mixed, mixed with the Italian flourish. That Italians, yeah, yeah. that Italians could only do in cinema. And one of the reasons why I love Italian cinema just about above any other type of cinema is they just have this I don't style. Know, yeah. This sensibility. That's just, uh, it's just, it's just, it's so passionate. And even in, in films that are jobs, it's still the passion comes through. Mm-hmm. Um, this is for me, you know, it's a lot of people talk about death rides of horse Sinbad, but this to me is the John Philip law performance for me personally. Absolutely. Uh, the way he moves is so great. When he gets out of the Jaguar, and we say Jaguar here, I know you guys say jag- Jaguar. <laughs> But we say, here in the States, I say Jaguar. <laughs> I always hear that when somebody from another country says jag, Jaguar, and I'm always like, do I, do
3: I say it wrong? Am I the one that says it wrong? I don't know. Well, it is a British like, car, so well, we must be saying it wrong. Yeah,
1: we must be. Well, like most American things we say, we do say most things wrong.
2: <laughs> I like so, the pronunciation. I just can't do it. <laughs> yeah, no.
1: um, but uh, when he gets out, the way he kind of moves his legs and the way he shifts his body and stuff and the black leather and stuff, it's just so great, man. I mean, he... He he just has this physicality to him, uh, these long lanky arms and legs, and the way the mask fits the face. It's just it's it's so great. It just it looks unbelievable. And of course you know the the eyebrows and the uh, the eyeballs and the mascara around the eyes. It's just great touches. You know John Philip Law was a very good looking gentleman, mm-hmm. and uh, so it works really well. Um, this 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 him in this role it really does. And there's a commentary on the disc. This disc is worth owning because John Philip Law talks on the disc about making
3: the movie. And speaking of discs and speaking of the fucking crying need for a Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah, I know. Absolutely. Oh, my God. This and Planet of the Vampire. Like, if nothing else, man, like, someone, let's get going. Pull up your socks. Come on. Like, these yeah. are the kind of films that the format was made for.
1: Yeah, get off get off your rotating bed yeah.
3: get the damn disc out. <laughs> well, then again, if I was in that <laughs> rotating bed with Mel, I don't know if I'd want to get off and, and uh, remaster a blues. So. Yeah, good
1: point. Good point. um. <laughs> Let me see here. Yeah, uh, so it has all these great like little moments. Almost the Batman camp. I love when weapons or any type of uh, paraphernalia is labeled. It always helps the the <laughs> the the, uh, the hero if he knows exactly where his his poison pills are or his laughing gas. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, when he's doing the photo, what does it say? It says something bizarre. It Has this long description of what uh, <laughs> what that gas is that he puts in the camera.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love I love that more than anything. It just always makes me smile. Um, Marissa Mell. Yeah, we talked about her. She is a gorgeous uh, a sight to behold. Um, I can give you many recommendations for films with her in it, but uh, I always like to recommend like, Spaghetti Westerns because it's a favorite genre of mine. Um, I know she was in uh, a few Eurocrimes as well. Gang War Milan, Milan. Was that what the one she that's, was in?
3: That's my favorite yeah. turn by her, man. Yeah. I love that film. She's really
1: good in that. But she's also really good in a film called Amigo Stay Away, or also it's also known as Ben and Charlie. And the great thing about Ben and Charlie is not only do you get to see Marissa Mell, but you also get to see Gemma again and George Eastman. So definitely uh, look for that one if you can, because it's a very, very overlooked Spaghetti Western, Ben and Charlie or Amigo Stay Away. Um, We'll do it at some point on the show, but I always love to throw those out there because, you know, it's still a genre I try to champion as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, the... uh, uh, Shelly is is pretty great, and of course he's so iconic as a heavy. And I, of course, I, immediately when I see him, I always think of Bond first because of uh, was it Thunderball? That's I think right, yeah. yeah, I think it was Thunderball. Uh, I'm more of a Bond guy than Will is. I'm not a diehard fan, but I'm I am a fan. Uh, like I said, I, th- I think I recently posted on the boards that I got the I got the entire Blue Box set for twenty bucks. <laughs> that's what kind
3: of even even I would buy that. <laughs> I know that's what I was thinking.
1: I was like, even Will would buy this. <laughs>
3: <laughs> cool
1: <laughs> and you know so i was like you know I'm, I'm gonna be tearing through those again pretty soon because i'm like 20 bucks man this is like the deal of the century for me you know, and i'm like cherishing it it's like sitting on my mantle i haven't even put it in my dvd collection or my blu-ray collection <laughs> it's like sitting out in front of my tv because at 20 bucks i just want to stare at it <laughs> <laughs> uh, i don't know why the guy got rid of it either man he only watched one film um uh, well, you know wow. who knows anyway uh I do think there are some pacing issues with this film. I really do. Uh, there are some moments where some stuff is not really happening. There's a lot of, there's a little too much for me, personally. This is just me, of the bumbling police in spots. Yeah, that's fair. Um, because I really do love the Diabolic character, and I wanted more of the Diabolic Chelly uh, thing I wanted more of the Valmont and Diabolic. And there's there's some good fun stuff where they're both kind of having some fun. Uh, the airplane's ridiculous. You know what's funny about the airplane? Don't they shoot a gun at one point and block the air hole with a piece
2: of gum? With chewing gum. <laughs> <laughs> but then they open up
5: a trap door on the bottom, and it doesn't suck anybody out.
2: <laughs>
5: <laughs>
2: it's one of those it's things. Interesting. <laughs> so, it's interesting that the um, the police take on the, the mantle. <laughs> of it takes a thief to catch a thief. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, they end up... Uh, almost exploiting valmont for uh for their benefit
1: yeah yeah it, it it's really it's really a gorgeous film uh <laughs> of course there's you know there's dummies flying off of roofs there's uh there's all these great looks there's the near the 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 great shower scene i love the shower scene i love the dual oh, the dual showers
3: the shower is great. And you know, like, someone had to measure that that frosted hanging glass was just so. Yeah. Because it's yeah. just so.
1: It's one of those moments, right? You know, it's one of those moments where you're just like, oh, this is, this is like very sexy. And I would like to see her nude right now, but I'll take this.
3: <laughs> yeah. It's exactly.
1: <laughs> and then they go to John Philip Law, and I think the same thing. No. <laughs> but it is, it is, these showers, it's almost like modern architecture. I, I watch a lot of, uh, home and garden TV. I I hate to admit that, but I do. I like, I, I really get into architecture and it's like a passion of mine to like nicely designed houses and stuff. I really get into that. It's it's funny how showers have kind of taken on the diabolic type thing over yeah. the years, where they really they're kind of sexy now. These two people showers, or you know, I guess you could say the specialist with Stallone and uh, uh, Sharon Stone, or you know, but, but the uh, <laughs> but the uh, the way the water pours out, it's not always a sprinkler head. Sometimes it's like a waterfall type shower and stuff. Anyway, that kind of stuff just kind of really kind of gets my gears going. Uh, more on the Marissa Mill side than on the John Philip Law side, but either way.
3: 60-40 split. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: it, it's tight, but it's there. Uh, it's, it's like his uh, white uh, costume. It's tight, but it's not quite <laughs> as good as the black one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really love everything about this film. I, there's really... The first time I saw this film was about 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago. And like James, this was a gateway into a different world of European cinema, particularly Italian cinema. Now, I'd seen the other Bava films. I'd seen, uh, you know, all the ones you're supposed to see. I don't want to get into all that, but I'd seen everything else. I'd always liked his aesthetic, but I never really got into him that much. But this was the one that opened the door for me to start pursuing stuff such as Eurocrumb. And, and uh, I'd already been a big Spaghetti Western fan, but this one really kind of got me going into a different world of italian cinema and uh i think this film i can see where people would say it's a little on the um campy side because it kind of is but it's that gorgeous kind of campiness that you really just can't explain uh or maybe you can but i can't really explain in words um it's almost like, uh, well, it's not like John Waters. That's a different type of campiness, but it's, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, it's almost repulsive, but it's repulsive for a reason, right? But uh, this, this, I, I don't know, it, it, like Will said, pop art is probably the best way to describe it. I, it the posters, the aesthetic, everything about it is just gorgeous. And it's, uh, yeah, man, this, this thing really holds up over the years. I've really come to love this. I had talked about this on the show, rewatching it recently. And, uh, I guess it was a couple years ago, and I said, we really need to cover this on the show at some point, Will, or something, and somebody called us out about that, cause somebody would listen to an old episode, and, I, and they were talking about that, how I'd said that.
3: It was like 170 episodes <laughs> ago now. I know,
1: I know. And uh, here we are, we're finally doing this, and so I'm going to pass this over to whomever wants to do it, either Paul or Will.
4: Paul, Paul do you want to dig in, bud? Yeah, um, I've got to say, I, I've heard James talk about this, because like, everybody knows we work together and he spoke to me about it for ages and when we decided to do this show and I said like James go on you choose whatever you want and he chose it so I was so excited so um, I uh, <coughs> agree with Sammy's sentiments it does lose pace in in parts but I just I, I just love the directing of it I like the way like you get the um, it's so smooth where it'll just go from a, just a standard shot into the psychedelic, and um, I mean, the first thing I said to James on—I um, can't remember when I watched it. I think it might have been Wednesday on Thursday morning. I walked in work and I said, "Money on the bed." <laughs> that like that was such a um, <clears throat> great scene. I think it. I, sh- I never knew that, um, Cherry was in Thunderball. I never made the connection. I've seen Thunderball countless times and I never made the connection. And all the way through watching it, I was like, um, without knowing which way around, whether Bond owed a lot to this or this owed a lot to Bond, that it does have that very James Bondy, especially in, in the scenes with the villains. It, do- the villains are very, very Bond esque. Yes. and, for me, and mm-hmm. I, I, I love the Bond film, so that was a um, treat, treat for me. So, um, and then finding out just today that Cherie was actually in Thunderball—that's uh, a nice little Easter egg that's um, come up as we're recording. Um, I, I mean, what's her name again? Mel. Yep. Um, she's absolutely stunning. I think, um, but she's a really good actress as well, and. Um, you know, it's not just all about looks. Yeah. Um, and John Philip Law, old attack, he's he's got that like, like without seeing his face much. There's, there's a charisma to the character, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. without seeing his face, which uh, I think's really excellent. There's a little note I made here. There's a scene where he um, where he's going to is it to break go and get the emeralds and he changes into um a white the storm shadow outfit Mm. yeah (laughs) and the the, the first thing that reminded me of is um a film that was very high up on all our lists last year It's skin i live in oh
3: yeah Yeah. that's that might have been a nod to this man because uh um Bava, gosh, yeah. Almodovar, Almodovar is a big film fan, so...
4: Yeah, and that, that that's what I thought. As soon as I seen that, I was like, was she, the, the, well, the um, girl, I'll say, <laughs> he was um, working on in the skin I live in. She had a costume very, very, very similar to that. Um, just flicking through me notes here. Um, so... Well, I'll just say, yeah, no, I really, really enjoyed it. I've got that many notes, there, and I did them in order of watching, but I, c- I can't really pluck anything thin out of the air. but um. So, yeah, I'll just leave it at that and then round it up okay. later when I'm done. That's all um, right.
3: The New York Times, when this film came out, called this film infantile junk. <laughs> Shame on them. Shame on them! Like they said um, the same thing about the paper boy. Yeah, you know, motherfuckers. <laughs> uh, guns don't do as they should in this film. Like there's no. Uh, it's very much a comic book world. Like there's no uh, reality tied in with guns. And I have to say that as much as we've bagged on Tony King for 300 plus episodes for being the worst gun user <laughs> in the history of cinema, Adolfo Celli is easily. Easily the king of awful gun handling. Like, he, when he shoots a gun in a room at one point in this film, it it, it is the worst gun handling I've ever seen in the film. And I'm by no means a gun expert, you know, but it just looks so
2: awful. Is um, that the um, I'll cross you off the human list? Yeah, <laughs> he, yeah, he yeah. Across. That's right, <laughs> that's right, man. <laughs> yeah.
5: um,
2: this film's
3: very wry and it's very self aware, but it never feels like it's above the material, which I love when a film does that. Um, I love the nods to animation with some of the stop motion animation, like when the map fills in, you yeah. know, when they're filling in the maps, uh, when they're, the police are looking at it, I mm. love that little effect. Um, I, you know, this is very much of the time, but it seems like something that the Italians were fixated on is, were there any clubs in Italy that weren't LSD soaked hippie dens? <laughs> it seems like right into the late seventies, there was just acid ah, in these big, um, uh like screens with colors floating on them and stuff. They love to do the psychedelic party in Italy. Um we get the biggest xylophone in the history of cinema in this film. <laughs> oh my god, that thing's huge. Um I think brilliant direction from Bava, not only in the production design and everything else, his shotgun, but everything else that we talked about, the aesthetic, but a great director never hangs his actors out to dry. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Law, as we've said, is not known as a great actor and Mel, she is good but she's by no means uh, Meryl Streep or Catherine Deneuve whoever you want to say, it doesn't matter. Um, But he utilizes both of them perfectly, Mm -hmm. perfectly. And it's fitting that we have beautiful leads for a beautiful film. Sexy leads in this sexy profession. And it works fantastically and I think it's great that unlike a lot of the sort of lone wolf cat burglar type shit that we get in films. We get, um, uh, we get Diabolic has a girlfriend who is very capable of being his partner and not just the unwitting girlfriend who thinks he's a journalist by day and a cat burglar by night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a few, yeah, it film does lose a bit. It's not a propulsive film. It's a breezy film and it looks so good that I'm willing to forgive that. Uh, there is a few things that are a bit, <laughs> a bit bunk as far as special effects. Some of the miniature works a bit off, I have to say. But the worst thing in it that I, I it, and the only thing that was really laughably bad for me is, there's one moment, and and like you said, James, um, Bava's so good with camera trickery. But there's one moment when a castle is projected, <laughs> in, the, <laughs> and the scale of the castle to like the um, the foreground with the cars is just way off. It's very un, un- Bava. Um, Law does the old. I guess this is sort of the the originator uh, or the godfather of the '80s ninja maneuver of suction cups up the side of a wall. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which, which is which is great. I always think about those suction cups. I think
1: how strong you got to be to actually do something like that.
3: Well, you have to be very strong, and you better have faith in the suction cup, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, i Is
1: it like kids' uh, toys with suction cups where you end up having to lick them? Do you think you have to lick those?
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. I wonder if he did, man. Oh, I wish Mel wouldn't lick my suction cup, but, Uh, you know, that's the way it goes. Uh, I only got a couple more notes because I know we're running short on time. It's weird when when Law puts on the beard and glasses, he's playing an older man in disguise. It almost looks if you squint like Franco Nero nowadays. OK, it's great. He got the salt and pepper in his hair and the beard and stuff. Um, I love the maneuver with the 11 emeralds. And then he says, happy birthday, you know, because Law's got a great voice, which isn't something we've talked about. But when he says happy birthday, and he kind of gives her the emerald. Again, it's a very sexy moment in a very sexy film. Yeah. Um, I have to wonder, speaking of this and sort of being a sexy kind of uh, comic book pop art um, heist film in a way. I wonder how much Steven Soderbergh's a fan of this because having seen this now, I have to think that the oceans films are a little indebted to this because Soderbergh is very much a, a lover of cinema. Mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Right. I mean, they're a little different. They're more grounded in reality, but even still, there's something to be said for that. Um, laws, very GTMC at one point. He's got a laser gun in hand. He's shirtless and he's wearing leather pants. <laughs> 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 kind of summarizes it all. A man after my heart. Yeah, exactly. Um, he has a
1: he, he has a lot of moments in his career that are very GGTMC, Trust me. Yeah,
3: he sure does. Uh, I love the ironic touch with um, with the gold at the end, and I really love that moment of mourning um, with Mel. You know, I don't want to say too much, mm-hmm. but I love that moment, and I love love the last um, eye gesture that we get from uh, <laughs> from our main man Diabolic. Really love it. Those are all my notes.
1: It's nice. It's good to know. I mean, I wondered how you would feel about this film. Uh, whenever I watch a film, sometimes I know I like It's Again, it's like that exposed children type thing we talk about. Yeah. I wonder if Will's going to like this. I'm you know, oh, the man. One <laughs> of those weirdos that sits around and wonders what somebody else thinks about a film while I'm watching it. <laughs>
3: no, I'm the same way.
1: <laughs> so it's interesting. Yeah, so yeah, that uh, Danger Die Bug, anybody got anything else they want to add, just in case we've missed anything?
4: Oh, ju- um, Actually, yeah, because I didn't say a lot before. Um, did anybody else notice, like, because obviously we've all watched quite a few, uh, me not as much as you guys, but with the Eurocrime movies, you have that, again, that, like, lack of trust in police, you know, between the people and, um, and lacking trust in government and things like that, and it seems to be a theme throughout throughout a lot of movies from that area that came from Italy.
3: Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, yeah, the regime, you know, leading prior to that, like, this generation of filmmakers grew up in chaos.
4: Mussolini? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah,
1: a lot of corruption, things like that. We've we talked about that a little bit in the past. Uh, Will's talked about it more than I have. I think he knows more about uh, Italian government history than I do. So <laughs>
2: a little bit. I'm by no means <laughs> an expert, but a little bit. Yeah. But, uh, just uh, to add to the, uh, the 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 pop culture kind of references in the film, there's the scene with the uh, the kind of identity kit that's yeah. kind of got the stop motion um, oh. faces popping up to try and. Uh, Mm. Narrow down Eva's look, if you look really, really closely, you can see Twiggy and Jane Fonda's faces within there. It's no way. Little, yeah, it's just a oh, little tidbit. That's very bit. cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, this is off on multiple watches. <laughs> um, very cool. There's also, I don't know if Barber is almost trying to put a bit of himself into the Diabolic character with the kind of, um, the gadgetry and, um, you know, just the little tidbits that everything that Diabolic does to try and overcome the police is, is quite simple. If you think about it, it's just Good visual call, gags. Um, it's, it's nothing too extravagant. Um, it's just duping them, basically, because he knows their level of, uh, of thinking. And it's, it's, it's just so easy for him. That it's just all he can do to rob the emeralds is take a picture of the room on a Polaroid and put it over a camera. It's, it's done. It's, it's all about using the trickery of the eye. It's, uh, it follows on from, from Bava 's kind of aesthetic of the film quite well.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: No. Yep. No. Yep. Yep. all right so we'll get into our make or breaks mvts uh james
2: make a break um i mean i've i've got a bit tongue-tied going through my notes at the start because this is a kind of film where you could talk about this for hours because there's so much in every single scene um and it's kind of hard to compress it into a 20, 25 minute little tidbit. For the make or break, I'm going to go for the opening sequence, just mainly because nice. of the psychedelica and the Morricone score. And it kind of, it's almost as if it's taking you through a passageway into this this new world um, with the, the kind of spiral screen. Um, mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's almost like a little gateway into Diabolik's world. So yeah, for me, the, the MVTs, the, the, the make-a-break scene, sorry, is the, the, the opening scene, MVT, it's got to be Barva. There's um, yeah. there's absolutely no other director at the time that I think could have taken this film on and done a, a good job. job. Um, it's almost interesting, it's almost also interesting to know that Bava didn't do a sequel because of the pressure of working on this film. Um, and it's an absolute crying shame that there wasn't a kind of series of films like this Um that kind of played on the Diabolic character. Um, if you kind of think with James Bond, there's always been a reboot with a different character kind of bringing something different to the to the fore. Um, it's a real shame that no one did this with Diabolic. Even if it wasn't good, it would have been nice to have seen someone's view on the character yeah. and uh, what they could have done with it. So, yeah, Barber, hands down. Um, as for score, oh, um, it's got to be a 9 out of 10 for me. Um, nice. I, it, it's... Like I said, it's, it's a huge, huge gateway film. Um, and it led me on to, like, Italian cinema is my favorite cinema of all time. And this film owes a lot to that for me. Um, so, yeah, 9 out of 10, absolutely solid. One of my all-time favorite films.
1: Nice, nice. uh My make or break. Uh, yeah, I love the opening as well. But I really, it, it right past that for me is when the first trip to the back cave is what I wrote down. Oh, of course, I always love any hero, anti-hero, or bad guys layers in cinema. It's one of my favorite conventions, and diabolic has one for the ages, man. <laughs> so it's it's just really great when he pulls in and all the camera trickery. You get the bava fisheye lens at one point uh yeah it's just also great and of course i saw the fisheye lens and i thought of rabid dogs when he used it in that one scene in rabid dogs yeah which was uh interesting but uh i always think of whenever i think of bava eventually i almost always think of diabolic first um my my mvt is also bava um yeah this for me is it's almost like some kind of fever dream for him it's like uh there's other films of his that have some amazing imagery and and other films of his i like quite a bit as well but this one really feels like everything kind of came together and it's interesting that it you know was so stressful for him to make and stuff and it's interesting that he had all this money and he just decided to go the route he went and uh, yeah it's very impressive i have to say very impressive
3: I think he felt comfortable too, right? That was his comfort zone. And I think if you had done too much outside that, then he's working outside of what he's used to working in as far as um, you know, producing stuff, manufacturing things, right? Yeah. So, but it, very interesting he did that for sure.
1: Yeah. I still would like to see uh, Large Williams version of Waterworld in the bathtub. So hopefully we'll get that uh, sometime yeah. soon on the Facebook group. <laughs> Along with some close-ups of the hamster hole. Yes. Anyway, back on point. My score for the film, uh straight 8 out of 10. I think this film's a near masterpiece. I do have problems with the pacing a little bit, but man, I really, really enjoy this. It's always great to go back and revisit it. Um, it's one of my favorite films from this era, and uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's one of my favorite Italian films, because like James, I'm a huge Italian cinema fan, and there's so much there. Um, so it's hard to put this in like a, if I was to make a top 10 Italian films, this would be really tough. Uh, this probably wouldn't get in there. Cause I mean, you got to talk about, you about Fellini and you know, all Leone. kinds of people. Yeah. You're talking Leone. about tons of people, but this is one of those shining moments in Italian cinema that I think American cinema owes a lot to. So it's, it's just, it's gorgeous. Yeah. So a straight eight out of 10, I could probably go higher. Let's say 8.5 out of 10. Cause I do love this film. All right,
4: Paul. All right, then um, my make or break is the um, same as Sammy's. That first scene going into that I put exactly the same as well in my notes. back Batcave <laughs> almost, <laughs> and the scene on the bed, that just set the whole thing up for me. Um, my... And although it did, <clears throat> like you said, it did lag in parts, um, it does pick up and... What have you? And that's down to my MVT again. The same as you guys, Barber. Um, it's really, really stylish. Um, the styling in it's seamless. It doesn't look like he's tried too hard. You can tell because I've not seen a lot of his films. So I I think I've only seen it. Did he do Bay of Blood? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Right, well, that's the only other film of his I've seen. Good. um,
1: Wow, you got a long way to go. Then you got a lot of stuff to watch. Rabbit
4: dogs,
1: (laughs) man. Yeah, check out Rabbit Dogs for sure.
2: Plenty of the other places on instant. Get that watch. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that (laughs) as as well.
4: Um, so I'll definitely be checking out more of his work. Um, for sure after watching this, and I'm really glad that it was chose. And my score for it, and I'm I'm probably going to actually, it's not one of them. I'm just going to stick on the shelf and think I'll revisit it in a couple of years. I'm keen to get back to it again. I enjoyed that much. Mine score. He's um, 8.75 out of 10. Nice. Nice. Very nice. Nice.
3: Okay. Well, I'm going to combine everyone's uh, make or break together because mine is sort of the first height leading into the Bat Cave. I love the, the combination of the two, right? It's his um, fortress of solitude and you know, the frosted glass showers and the bed and everything else. Just really great stuff, man. And it it, it totally sets you up for the rest of the film um mvt is the same as your guys bava i I believe what james said i can't think of another filmmaker of the time that could have made this film uh the way it is great as it was made i'm glad i finally saw this film so thank you for picking it guys it's uh it's been a real treat, and it's one that I do want to buy, and I will pine for the blue endlessly. <laughs> My score is an 8.25 out of 10. I really, really dug it. It's uh, it's definitely one I'm going to own. And I know last night, Jay, uh, the early maniac, was like, oh, well, let me guess, it was overrated, and it left you cold. And I wanted to say, motherfucker, are you crazy? This film's great. <laughs> yeah. But I had to be classic. You'll just have to listen to the show. Yeah. Um, but I'm really glad you guys picked it. Man, I'm so glad yesterday I got to bang out this and King of Comedy, two films I was kind of ashamed to have said. I'd never seen. So what?
1: you didn't feel the same way about Waterworld. <laughs>
3: uh, I, I quite liked Waterworld, but it's uh, it's a different film. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't I couldn't do Danger Diabolic in my bathtub. It
1: wasn't so. on your list. <laughs> ooh. Went, ooh. Yeah. ooh. <laughs> You're
3: is, rolling around in construction paper like, on a is that a a blowout p- mattress?
1: <laughs> yeah. Is that a pink submarine? <laughs> is that a pink submarine? I don't think I'm, what is that thing? What is that thing? How many submarines have a mushroom tip? Anyway, (laughs) all right. I just want to say uh, thanks so much to the guys for coming on the show this week. Um, We do we have time for pleasantries? Do you want to do those? Yeah, okay. I
3: can do I can do pleasantries, but I also before we do even do pleasantries, I, I do want to thank the guys again. It's it's been a long time coming. You guys are valuable uh... invaluable you are dear members of our community dear friends um, and it's been a, a pleasure and i know we've been looking forward to this all week so it was great to um... to get you guys on and and be able to chew the fat on these two very different yet in some ways linked films yeah i've mm-hmm. been looking the forward fruit. to
1: this since we talked about it i just couldn't <laughs> wait to do the show uh... Yeah, I- I was so pumped about it so it was so great to have you guys on i don't get to talk to you as much as i would like both of you so uh... yeah just know you guys cinematically you're in my heart always there, Sammy getting emotional, <laughs> and friend in not just cinematically. You know, come on, come on,
2: <laughs> come on, Rick.
1: Yeah, yeah, just made an ass out of myself on on the air.
2: Absolutely, it's, uh, it's it's been a lot of fun breaking my podcast cherry. It's uh, I've got I've got a very simple setup, but I'm uh, I'm ready to roll whenever I'm needed. it was uh, it's been a lot of fun. Really nice. good,
4: nice. We yeah, do I've, want to uh, have you guys back. Oh, I've really really enjoyed it. I got a bit nervous uh because just because i couldn't read my own handwriting <laughs> hey well, I've been there. welcome to the club man So yeah we're like oh, what the fuck should i say what and i'm just say? like trying to pick it. yeah so um <laughs> if we ever come on again i'll make sure my handwriting's a lot neater than it were this time round. um but no i really enjoy coming on and it's an absolute pleasure because like me and james have both been members about is it two years yeah, in members of yeah, the community. Probably um, yeah, I'm probably into three. I think you, you, Well, I only noticed it because I saw James Likes, a gentleman guide to midnight cinema on my Facebook, and I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. And then <laughs> I went across and that's how I found it. So um, yeah. and then I did, at first I didn't even realize that you were a, you had a podcast. I just thought it were a Facebook group. <laughs> and then I, I, I had absolutely no idea and then started knowledge, um, and i said to J- james and he was like yeah it's a podcast like listen to it so i did and you know been no turning back then you know i'm 5 like a motherfucker every monday <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
1: i always I always think about paul when i post the show yeah. he's the first person i think of while it's uploading i think oh man yeah i gotta make sure i get I, I gotta get to the facebook group and post it but if i don't I know Paul posted for me. Yeah, be
3: like, it's up? <laughs> it's up?" Uh, well, that's great. But uh, yeah, Pleasantry. So check out our sister shows: Sylvan Gold, Show Show, and the Mill Creeps coming strong with uh, uh, Ferdinand Baldi this past week. And they're actually they're just recording. I think as we're recording right now, ironically, they're recording the new episode.
0: Nice.
3: Check um, out the Feminine Critique, Hamakis podcast without honor and humanity, Cinna Awesome Action Attraction, Married with Clickers, The Glee Cast, Paleo Cinema, Family Movie Night podcast on fire. 35mm Heroes, Chinstroker vs. Punter, Night of a Living Podcast, The Big Red Podcast, Better in the Dark, The Criterion Cast, Projection Booth, Mondo Film, Love That Album, uh, Movie Matchup, Movies About Girls. Of course, also check out A Man, a Kid, a Pony, Trick or Treat Radio, The Good, the Bad, the Odd, uh, The Gore Press, Gore Cast, and check out paracinema.net to get a subscription to our favorite uh, genre magazine, Paracinema. Uh, check out Nightmare Theater.Blip.TV. And of course, uh, Pensacon coming down the pipes for the red suited one. Um, we Are Young Monster, Teleport Shitty.com, Far Reaching uh, These are all, of course, blockspot.com, The GGTMC, Rupert Pupkin Speaks, Deadly Dolls House, Chuck Norris Ate My Baby, Knife in the Head. Fist of B-List. We got some big news coming down the pipes with our main man, Carl Bresden, so uh, keep your eyes peeled and your ears tuned. Mm-hmm. Cinema Gonzo, uh, The Playground of Doom, Scared Shiftless and Shasta, Moon in the Gutter, Wax Mask, uh, which, of course, big ups to Greg for always dropping the disco, the Italian synth on us, Oily Maniac, uh, The Death Rattle, the TheLightningBugsLayer.com, Here it Never Dies, The Freaking Awesome Network. I forgot to mention Film Rave. Oh, that's peculiar.
1: That's okay, Sorry, Justin. I, I played the promo. so we,
3: Yeah, so there we go. We halfway uh, did our job. <laughs> yeah, halfway. Uh, Feed My Ears and Region Incognito. And, of course, check out, of course, the aptly named DiabolicDVD.com for uh, all of your needs. cinema de com. Camera Obscura. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes reviews have been lacking. So get over there and l- give us some love. And people, you can look at other countries' iTunes reviews. You just have to change the country at the bottom of your iTunes page. Yes, indeed. Indeed. So that's that. What uh, are we doing next week? I think we're staying across the Atlantic. Yes. With someone a little, little further south in the country from the great region of Bath.
4: Yeah. Oh, Bernie Sticky.
3: No. Close. <laughs> Close. Chris, Chris Baker. You got it, Chris
4: Cage.
1: <laughs> <Nicholas>. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes Chris B can be like Nicholas Cage. Yeah, if you know
2: him. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you know about Nicholas Cage in Bath? No, no, we no, don't. Oh, no. he, he lived in Bath in England for a while. Uh, oh, a while. turned on the Christmas lights ta- one Yeah. Yeah, when he was having his tax problems, he he relocated to Bath. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. I didn't know yeah. that.
1: Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> that would explain a lot. <laughs> uh, I don't even know what that means. What I just said, anyway. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Chris B. is coming on. Uh, that's what he calls himself when he calls in, so that's what I'll call him. And uh, yeah, oh, uh, What? Who? Uh, the uh, He has uh, selected two films. This is part of our uh, Kickstarter promo, and uh, we are going to be doing Pumping Iron, starring one Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, we are also going to be covering, finally... It has been a long time coming, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of listeners that are going to be excited about this one. One in particular. Uh, very excited to hear this. But finally, the return of the Robert Zadarsky to the show, we're going to be doing Samurai Cop.
2: Oh, nice. Oh, so, <laughs>
1: so, yeah, next week, Samurai Cop and Pumping Iron. It should be interesting conversation, to say the least.
3: <laughs> And the episode will be called Pumping the Samurai Pop. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Something of that nature, yes. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to call this one. Uh, I know. I mean, the simple one would be Danger Water World, right? But I don't know. I'll figure something out, Jesus.
2: That sounds like a good film title Danger yeah. Water World. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, again, thanks, guys, so much for coming on the show. Um, yeah, and if those who uh, want to interact more with uh, Paul and James, just join the Facebook group. If you're not part of the Facebook group, you're really missing out. There's a lot of people over there. And uh we have a lot of fun over there. So uh it's 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 like the second spot I go to every morning. Absolutely. <laughs> of course I just I have to open up my news first, see what's going on in the world, in the real world, and then I go to my my world, the gentleman's <laughs> got to Midnight Cinema World. So uh, it's a great place to hang out and a great place to uh, meet like minded individuals uh trust Grand, me.
3: and great people, not yeah. not just you know film yeah. quality people yeah. and I can go there for at any time for advice on you know film or otherwise if I wanted to, but you know just we're, we're very lucky to have such great people like you guys and i'll tell you for me to almost be rooting for Manchester United is a testament to the quality of you two guys and everyone else because <laughs> I am an arsenal fan, so for me to be like you know
1: hey so 's Kevin and, Costner by the way.
3: <laughs> yeah he is. yeah. He is. that's, that's yeah. a that's a true no, right. statement <laughs> oh wow, he's an that's arsenal crazy. fan <laughs> i didn't I didn't know that man I didn't know that yeah I' might explain a few things um I was
1: going to bring that up, but I was like ah that's a that's a note that doesn't yeah. make any sense but yeah, yeah there, that's I, cool, man. finally, I got my last note in, yeah,
3: yeah, <laughs> but uh yeah quality quality uh guys you are, so thanks again
1: yeah, thanks so much and we'll and we'll tell you thanks a thousand times and you'll get sick of it after a while <laughs>
3: <laughs> but of course. There is only one thing left to say. Yes, that
1: is. Adios. Adios.
3: Adios.
0: Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com.